that's a good beat and I can dance to it. Oh my God, Lee, Lee, welcome Lee Sklar. I am I'm, so thrilled to be here. I am so happy that you're here. All right, we're going to go, we're going to look and make sure that we're actually on here. I, I don't like to look down and do this stuff. No, that's good. The show. It's good to but check. We're just going to get the shot in so that, and then we can also say hello to some people because a lot of people are watching to see you today. And, um, it's a desperate medium. <laughs> <laughs> Except none of those those bad people, I'm sure, are watching. No, they they don't. They oh, know see, look, look at how much love you're getting. Oh look, my look, god! Everybody's throwing oh up. Little, people are throwing up the it looks love. Like, it looks like Valentine hearts, it does, candy it, hearts. It does. Um, Christina Guzman saying it sounds great. Tony Vincent, hi. Warren Sellers, hi. Randy, hey. Um, this is really cool. You know, I love this. I'm so glad that we got to do this. I am too. And yeah. you know, I. I don't, I don't know if you remember this. You wouldn't remember this. I, remember I remember this, but I don't either. But um, <laughs> you were doing a benefit, and it was... Um, John Guillotin was the, the... The musical director. Yes. And who was it for? I don't remember. Um, it was... Um, um, at the Savon. Bish did it. Bish at the Savon. At the Savon. Yeah. Yes. Who, yeah. Um, what's, what's See, oh, I can't remember uh, either. Uh, Dionne Warwick uh, was there. John James or something. He's, a, he's a, a musician who developed, I think, like cerebral palsy. Yeah, some, That's some issues going on. Shaka Khan came down. Yes. Um, uh, oh, what was his name? Oh, I love him. English guy. Oh, yeah. In the early days, he had like spiky red, um, red hair. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. This is really bad yeah. when you put a couple of old people together and ask them. Well, to no. When next. you have people that have a lot of history, <laughs> it all starts to get... Um, yeah, I really loved his, his music, too. I'll, I'll remember. I'll call you in the wee hours okay. of the morning. Actually, Howard Jones. Thank you. I, I was going to say it. probably come Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There you go. You get a Put chip. a chip in my eye here. <laughs> it was a great show. It was amazing. I loved it. And it Mickey was a great was cause. Mickey was there, too. Mickey Jones. Yeah. yeah. It was a great yeah. show. Great cause. And um, I came up to you afterwards, <laughs> as I want to do. You said and you were a good girl. And, and thought, yes, I was Santa. And you were giving me your Christmas list. <laughs> Well, I did ask to sit on your lap, but that's a whole other story. Okay. And um, no, but I did, I did, I, I like, I said, oh, Mickey did my show, and this one did my show, and Steve did my show, and 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 you were lovely. And um, somehow, and you know, my only way to contact you was through Facebook in those days. And yeah. I don't blame you if you don't read those things. No, I actually read everything. Do you? Just stuff gets you know gets buried and loaded down in there. Okay, so let's talk about that for a minute okay. since we're here. So you're very outspoken. Yes. And so. Facebook gives you a little holiday once in a while? Um, yeah, they, they, they'll take me and they'll say it's time to put that little pointed hat on and sit and face the corner. So how long do they make you face it's the corner? It's usually 30 days. Get out of here. No, 30 days. And there's no explanation as to why. Uh, is, a, a it couple, because, is it usually because somebody It's because somebody it trolled me and, and they complained enough. And I think there's probably some kind of a logarithm or something that then boots you off. Um, and there's no recourse. I mean, it's not like there's a trial. Like, have, have, have you tried <laughs> to, to like, because if you hit that support help thing. No, that's, that's completely nonsense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or sometimes it'll come back and say, we've reviewed your case. And? But nothing's changed. Oh. And they haven't given you an answer as to what's actually happened. Okay, but, so tell me what that's like to be in Facebook hell. Um, it's so... I had a life before Facebook. Right. So I just moved back into that life. The only thing I really love... Facebook for mm -hmm. is is I've hooked up with a ton of people that would have be been really hard really word. hard to hook up with. You have to use oh, that. I, I, yeah. I, I've been able to, to reconnect with a lot of yes. people, mm -hmm. and and plus, I mean, I've been really fortunate because of my career. I have people that I talk to 
in Afghanistan, in India, in Japan, in Argentina, Fantastic. I mean, all over the world. And through Facebook, it really, um, it, it really made it a, a pretty easy thing to do and track down old friends. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of aspects of Facebook that I find really appalling. Mm -hmm. Um, and if I ever met Mark Zuckerberg, I'd probably be in jail. <laughs> you know? um, but it's it's one of those things that I really I really appreciate the social aspect of it. I like being able to um, to really discuss things that are going on in the world with people. But also, I've used it as a as a format to when I discover some great music, new music mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, I'll turn people onto it. Like I've had people say to me, "Who's your favorite bass player?" expecting me to say McCartney or, you know, all these people. Mm -hmm. And I go, well, actually, probably my favorite bass player, is, his name is Reinat Abramov. And okay, he, tell he, me he, more. Reinat is the, um, was the principal bassist with the London Symphony Orchestra. Wow. And he is probably one of the most staggering upright bass players I've ever seen in my life. And a couple Have you of met him? I never met him in a few, he's a young guy, and a few years ago he had a stroke, so oh. he can't play anymore. Oh, my. He might be teaching. Um, and his daughter, Alina, um, is to violin what he is to string bass. And there's videos on YouTube wow. uh, of them. And the first time I saw him play, I just, it took my breath away. Did you ever get to let him know that? I wrote to him a couple of times. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it got to him, but you know, you're never quite sure right. what, what's going to who uh, right. when, you're, when you're using these formats, because it's not like... It's, it's a personal person, thing right. and yeah, all yeah. that. But, you know, and there's so many people. And, and I just love being able to kind of move the arts along because the arts are being so denigrated in this contemporary society for mm -hmm. him that any chance to turn people on to painters and singers and writers and stuff, it's really a great format. And, and you and do use it. I, well, I, I figure if, if this continues to be a real pain in the ass for me in terms of them coming after me because I got a big target on my back. Then everybody said at this point, then just do a blog and that I can control myself. But I really like the format of this. I, I don't like Instagram because that's really like for showing pictures of, you know, your breakfast and things like that. I like being, I like a long format discussion, not having to go in, in the same with Twitter. Well, it's like a cocktail party. See, I yeah. find Twitter is like, a hundred million people whacking off at the same time. Yeah. Nobody's really paying attention to anybody else. Yeah, it's but all about level, you. Yeah, we're really yeah. having a conversation. I love, um, so on that level, I love it. Mm -hmm. and, and I really, uh, I, I try to, and, and the thing I also learned a, a long time ago, because mm -hmm. I was a latecomer to technology. Mm -hmm. I, I was, everybody would say, oh, you got to get a computer. You'll be on it all day. I go, you just said the wrong thing. <laughs> um, but I finally, when I got into it, I figured, now, now figure it out and do it. And the one thing that, that's so obvious with things like Facebook mm -hmm. is it's content driven. Mm -hmm. And I, I know guys that go, oh, nobody ever comes to my page. And I go, well, how often do you post and stuff? They go, oh, once a month. I go, duh. <laughs> I said, I post things several times a day. Mm -hmm. And I answer everybody. Everybody keeps thinking, because I know a lot of guys that have a, an assistant that, that or, does all their Or Facebook. they hold court. They just post something yeah. and then they never come back. Yeah. It's about the conversation. I hate that. Yeah. It's about the conversation. Yeah, I love the dialogue. And, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of times where I ask people, I said, I want to be educated, especially people of diverse opinions mm -hmm. for me. I said, explain to me, you know, in, in, in really logical, documented terms, mm -hmm. you know, based in fact, mm -hmm. what we can talk about. And generally, that usually closes the door. Okay, so that's what I wanted to ask you. So when you're getting, so are you you're allowing for other opinions? Oh, I, I absolutely uh, encourage diversity. Of See, opinion. as soon as they start to name call, 
Yeah, gone. Uh, then, then I, I send yeah, them gone. away. They're I, gone. That I don't they do. Go to the, well, I'm, Bill Mooney is a friend of mine, and mm-hmm. I always say, you know, just send them to the cornfield. <laughs> just send them to the cornfield. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not a know-all. I don't know everything. I'd like to learn, and especially when there's people of diverse opinion, I'd mm-hmm. really like to know what drives their thought process. So if someone starts to come at you and they start to get... Not in the facts, but pers- yeah, they're quoting Fox News and, and is this Sean when you Hannity. is this when you get in trouble? Do you think? Um, oh, oh, I'm sure, mm-hmm. I'm sure, because uh, there's certain people that have come on there that I can just tell that mm-hmm. this person is going to be bad news. And people keep saying you've got to just go through your friends list and get rid of. It. I said, well, my friends list was cut off like the first two weeks that I joined Facebook because I didn't know they cut you off at 5,000. So I was just hitting, oh yeah, accept, accept, accept. <laughs> but then, but I've got about 83,000 people now following me on there, which is just twice as much as my dogs had. And they were sneaking up on me because <laughs> they were over 40. Your dogs are fat. They were over 40,000 followers. dogs are fantastic. Yeah, I know. Oh, um, so it's one of those situations that um, I really think dialogue is important in this mm-hmm. day and age, but I really want dialogue that's reasonable dialogue that is a dialogue and not just somebody coming at me going, I know your touring schedule, we're going to come get you. Oh, come on, does that No, I've, I've had threats like that. Have and you had people on the road, because they know your politics from Facebook, have people on the road, has that happened to I've you? only had a couple of guys come up to me at gigs and go, you know, so I love your playing, but man, I really hate your politics. If they do that, it's fine, but when somebody starts really threatening you, and then I'll say back to them, i say, yeah, as soon as you finish the Ovaltine, your mom just brought you in here and you've got your drop back jammies on and you're playing video games in the basement, you know, jerking off to space invaders or something. You know, I mean, these guys, everybody's brave behind a screen. Yeah. But they, I said, bring it on. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever does. Mm-hmm. But I would say for the most part, I'm usually preaching to the choir. Yeah. Um, you know, because most of the people that Although come how on, many people have you banned, would you say? It'd be probably between three and 4,000, something <laughs> like that. But, you know, over a course of time, it, right. it's one of those things that you end up with people that really come on and they're vehement. I mean, I've had guys that really get ugly with me and they really get, you know, threatening and calling me all kinds of names. You know, it's usually the people that go, it, 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 the kind of stuff, I mean, I'll accept if somebody, you know, comes on and says, why don't you just shut the fuck up and just play your bass? And I'll and I'll say to them, I'll say I would give up bass in a second to have a better world. Wow, I mean, I, love I would that give, absolutely, absolutely. I think that we're in in very dire times right now, mm-hmm. and I think that the most important thing is to is to really be proactive about saving number one, saving this planet. Are you? I mean, the planet. Are you optimistic? Are you hopeful? Or like I I'm inter- scared shitless. Okay, because um, Evan Hamler from Sex and the City, you know Evan? Yeah. I, when I interviewed him like a couple of days after the election, and he was just, he's like, we are going to suffer this for the next hundred years. Oh, like, yeah. Our lives are just basically ruined. He was just in... It's well, hopeless. I think to repair the damage that's been done. I mean, it's kind of like when they talk about fluorocarbons and the ozone. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I, I read an article, and it, and it takes 10 years when somebody sprays a can that's toxic to the atmosphere, mm-hmm. it takes 10 years for that spray to hit the top of the ozone layer and do any damage. So mm-hmm. if we stop today, mm-hmm. right at this moment, there's mm-hmm. still 10 years of stuff going on. If we get rid of this administration and all the corruption that's mm-hmm. taking place right now, there's so much damage has been done on a global basis. Because I just finished touring the world with Phil Collins. Everywhere I went, from South America to Europe to Asia to to Australia, New Zealand, everybody goes, 
what the hell has happened to America? <laughs> God, I'm laughing. Yeah, it's I mean, it's, it's, it's beyond tragic. And to repair this and, and, and mm-hmm. really have our place in the world mm-hmm. intact again, it's mm-hmm. going to take a long time because nobody trusts the system anymore mm-hmm. over here. And the, 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 the incredible amount of lying mm-hmm. and stuff that's taking place. I mean, I don't want to have our hang be all about this, but right. um, like on my base, I've got this big resist sticker and the response, like when we played Puerto Rico mm-hmm. and that went up on a 50 foot screen right after Trump was throwing paper towels to the people to help them. Um, the crowd went crazy and I had guys coming up to me saying, look, we're, we were playing San Juan and San Juan was put together, you know, pretty quickly mm-hmm. to, because that's really the center when people right. go to Puerto Rico. But a bunch of the stagehands were going out daily to other ends of the island and helping. And they said, man, it's still a complete disaster. How, how recently were you there? Um, we were there probably two years ago. Mm-hmm. And now they're suffering because they just had the earthquake right. went through. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but it's it's our place uh, in the global community has been kind of almost irrecoverable. Irreparable? No. Yeah, it kind of. Yeah, let's just say it's screwed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, uh, it, and it's uh, it breaks my heart because mm-hmm. I, I've traveled the world for so many years, where we were kind of the um, the bright beacon on the hill, and now we're that kind of spent lump of coal at the base of the hill, mm-hmm. and it's really sad, and and it didn't have to happen. But there's a lot of bullshit going on out there. Okay, so let's go back to, to Lee as a younger guy. Uh, we were talking before we went on the air about... Oi! Oi! We were talking about uh, being politically active, which you were, uh, I was back in the day. Um, okay, so you grew up here. Yeah. Uh, California, Southern California. Yeah. Um, your parents, uh, what did your father, what did your father do? What... Um, my dad was kind of a gypsy. Mm. Um, he probably in the course of my life probably had about 40 businesses. Oh, wow. Um, like what? Um, swimming pool cleaner, mm-hmm. uh, loading trucks for UPS, window tinning. Was he um, musical? Um, he played a little saxophone when I was a baby, mm-hmm. and he said that encouraged my crying, so they didn't do it that much. <laughs> and my mom played a little bit of piano, but more than anything, mm-hmm. my, my I came from a very left-wing upbringing, okay. which was great. You know, because when, when there were the big anti-war marches, my dad was like right there marching. In I love too. that. Um, but it, it was one of these things that their musical tastes were incredibly eclectic. Okay, so, so like, what did you grow up with in the house? Everything. I mean, opera, um, Martin Denny, Thelonious Monk. Did you like it all? I loved it all. You loved it all. I loved it all. I mean, they really exposed me. And and for a brief story on how I got into all this in the first place, my parents used to watch the Liberace TV show. Of course they did. And, um, and Lawrence Welk? Well, well, Liberace no. especially. Wow. Uh, and, and I would sit, uh, kind of sneak around the corner and watch him because it was on later in the evening. Mm-hmm. And this was when I was probably about five, mm-hmm. four and five. Now, we did have a piano in the house. so. But I would see this guy in his tuxedo and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And he was a fine pianist. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the whole shtick with the candelabra and his brother George would come out and play violin. And that really motivated me to play piano. And so I started studying piano when I was five. And Your choice or your parents? I, well, it was in the house. And, okay. and, and you know, I just... Uh, and, and I was really digging Liberace. And um, so I started studying. And by the time I was eight, I had won some awards from the Hollywood Bowl Association as like the outstanding young pianist in town. But by the time I was 12, uh-huh. 
I was pretty burned out. I, I was like doing all kinds of recitals and performances. And so what, you were sort of a, so a it didn't prodigy. matter what instrument you were playing, you had the music in you. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. But when I went, I went to um, Birmingham, when I went to Birmingham Junior High School, it was a junior high school and high school. It was a six-year school at that time before they split off the junior high school. And the music teacher there, his name was Ted Lynn. And I love that you remember that. Oh, no. I, to me, I, I owe my career to Ted Lynn. Oh. And, and I hooked up with him before he passed away from cancer a few years back. Got a great finger shot from him. Nice. And he was, we'll man, he was great. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but when I went in there, I kind of went in with the attitude, here I am, your pianist is here. And he said, there's like 50 kids that play piano. We need a string bass player. And I said, okay, wait, wait, that? stop one second. You had confidence. Do you think you had confidence because your parents supported and encouraged? Like, where did that come? Did you, were you always confident? Um, I've probably been confident with a tremendous, about, a tremendous amount of self-doubt and self-deprecation. And so, like the most, I'm like, if somebody comes up to me after a concert mm-hmm. and starts complimenting me, it's the most uncomfortable I ever get. Okay. I, I immediately divert attention to something else. I really am not good at it. Uh, I really don't like it. Um, but so he brought out an old K um, blonde um, plywood base um, upright and he put it in my hands. He said, here's how you hold it. And I plucked one note and felt that vibration run through me. And I said, sold, done. And he wow. gave me some rudimentary lessons. And I still have a recording we did like four months later with the junior high school dance band. It has stuff like autumn leaves on it and stuff. And it's really sweet and charming, mm-hmm. but um, and you took to it right away. I took was, right to I took right to it, and 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 were just, you teaching yourself faster than you were learning? Um, well, I, I I got as far as I could, and then started with teachers mm-hmm. at that point, mm-hmm. and and finally ended up with a, a a bassist named Nat Dangursky, who was one of the principal bassists in the LA music scene at that time, and he was great and. Um, he really didn't have that many young students at that point. He was dealing with a lot of guys that were on upper echelon mm-hmm. professionals. Mm-hmm. And, but I just fell in love with it. And the hardest part was I was joining bands, jazz groups and stuff at that point. It's being heard. It was really hard, especially with rock and roll bands at that time, surf bands and all that, because the guys had amps and I'm sitting up there just bleeding away, you know, oh, just God. trying. And then my father took me... Um, the musicians union has relocated from Vine Street now. It's, mm-hmm. They've got new offices, and and across the street was a place called Stein on Vine, and it was nice. a music store. Uh-huh. Well, when it originally started, it was in in the basement of the musicians union. So my dad took me there and bought me an electric bass and an amplifier, and this was probably around '63, mm-hmm. and um, I think it was a Melody bass and a St. George amp. And suddenly I was a contender in, in the bands I was in because I could And were you with the guys. a Beatles fan? When, um, when that the happened? Beatles changed everything. Okay. Uh, up to that, I was not like. You weren't pop music. Were you pop music? I was more jazz. Okay. I really liked jazz. Okay, so and what, classical. Pulled, what pulled you to, to jazz? I'm always curious about this because jazz eludes me for the most part, especially progressive jazz. Well, because the guys I was meeting were all in love with jazz. Mm-hmm. And I, I, my, my real joy was, was jazz, but more than that was R&B. I was okay. a massive, like, you know, James Brown mm-hmm. and, and all, all the period of that Joe Tex and mm-hmm. you, you kind of name it. And, and those were people. You in band? Were you in band? I was probably in like three, four bands at a time, all the time. Okay. And mm-hmm. were you keeping up? How were you in school? Um, I, was a, I was a good student. Uh-huh. Um, I, I've, uh, 
I was probably a lazy student mm -hmm. in, in terms of I, I could kind of get, get through okay without working really, really hard. The things that interested me, I worked very hard at, but a lot of stuff didn't interest me. And I just tried to figure out how, how little can I do and still get through it. When did you know this is, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? I never knew um, until I was... Was uh, there something else you wanted to do? When you were little? Well, I always loved music, you know, and mm -hmm. I figured it would be a part of my life always. I went to, when I started college in 1965, I went to Cal State Northridge or San that's, Fernando Valley State that's College. That's where I wanted to go. Yeah. That was my dream, yeah. Wow. Well, I, I did my first two years in the music department. Mm -hmm. Hated it. Um, because it seemed like all they wanted to do was turn out teachers and not, all I wanted to do was perform and oh. be a part of it. So I went up to the um, administration building and took a battery of aptitude tests. Huh. One of the things I was always really good at was it was drawing with fine arts, mm -hmm. um, but my real passion was science. So I became a science art co-majors, and I figured wow. I might I might become like a medical or a technical illustrator at that point. And uh, I was in my fifth year of college. I I, it, I kept changing majors and and then not taking prescribed curriculum. So and you're playing you're playing and now. I'm playing in clubs yeah, yeah. and yeah, all, yeah, all yeah. this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, during during that kind of late sixties, like sixty seven to sixty nine, um, I hooked up with um, a guy named Harmonica George Smith, who was probably the greatest blues harp player to ever come out of Chicago. Wow! And and so I started doing the Chitlin Circuit, and I got to work with Jimmy Reed and Lightning Hopkins and Big Mama Thornton and and Magic Sam and Pee Wee Creighton and all these people through George mm -hmm. and. Uh, and out of that, I joined uh, another band um, called Little John Farm, which had two of the Dragon Brothers, you know, Dennis and Doug Dragon, and Daryl Dragon was the captain of Captain and Tennille, and their father, Carmen Dragon, was the conductor of the Glendale Symphony Orchestra. I mean, all these things get real convoluted, mm -hmm. but out of that, I joined a band called Wolfgang, and we were called Wolfgang because that... we, we were managed by Bill Graham. Oh. And Bill Graham's real name was Wolfgang. I never knew that. Yeah, so we named Still the band more. after him to suck up to him. And, <laughs> and we do all that. But So wait a minute. If he's your he was your manager? Yeah. So you're playing the Fillmore? Well, the first gig we ever played as a band was at Winterland opening for Zeppelin. That's the first time what? we were ever on stage in 1968. Wow. And what was that? And so what was that and like? We, and we smoked it. I mean, but nothing ever happened with the band. It uh -huh. just didn't, it wasn't in the cards. Anybody else in the band that has gone on to have um, a big career? Not big careers, but everybody's still at, the guys okay. who are still alive. Mm -hmm. um, Bugs Pemberton was the drummer, and he was English, and he was uh, came over. He had been in Jackie Lomax and the Undertakers, mm -hmm. which were rivals to the Beatles mm -hmm. in, that, in that period. And Jackie Lomax was like... Would could have been a movie star. He was like one of those beautiful guys that you just see him and you go, oh wow, and he was great. But it, it, so this is where it gets kind of convoluted. I'm still in college. Mm -hmm. um, one of Bugs's uh, friends was a guy named John Fishback. Mm -hmm. Now John Fishback owned Crystal Recording Studios, and he engineered and produced like songs in the key of life and all the early Stevie Wonder stuff. And he would come out and hang out at our rehearsals, which were, we had a house out in Sunland mm -hmm. out here. And um, at one of the rehearsals, he came with a friend of his, and it was James Taylor, who had just gotten back from England and had done his first album in England. And he hung out a couple was of days. Was the album out? I think it had just come out. But and he wasn't like nobody James knew, Taylor. Nobody knew okay. who James was at mm -hmm. this point. 
And um, so we, you know, we, he hung out and we, we thought he was great. We loved a couple of songs we did, but we were like a heavy rock band. So we like did a heavy rock version of Country Road and stuff. Well, James, after that, things started happening. He got offered a gig to play the Troubadour and he remembered me from the rehearsal. And, and I'm still in college studying my art and my science and all that. And he, and he was being managed by Peter Asher of Peter and Gordon. So mm-hmm. Peter tracked me down kind of, he said, James thought you were great and would love for you to do this gig at the Troubadour with him. It was going to be one gig. And basic, had you ever played the Troubadour? Had you played the no, Troubadour? I, no, I've been there a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd played the experience more than anything, which mm-hmm. was my favorite club in, in Hollywood. But so I got hired to do one gig and basically I'm still on the gig. Wow. I mean, my life just completely flipped over because like almost immediately after that, James was on the cover of Time magazine. It was the whole new kind of Folk aura of music, singer-songwriter mm-hmm. movement. And and we just happened to be, the, it was the perfect storm. And had it not been James that I hooked up with her, had he not known John who knew Bugs and come to our rehearsal and all that I, don't, I might just be somewhere penning pictures of intestines I have a feeling I don't that that know. would not have happened well I don't know but you know to me this is I always tell everybody like when I'm thinking about how I work I say everything I do is etched in mud you know it's like I'm not uh, uh, to me everything's fluid and so, like, I was. Are you, do you I, believe in fate? Do you, are you? Do you believe in destiny? Fate? Do you believe um, in that? Not, not so really. Much. Not so much. I you think, make self will. Well, I think you just get up every day, and whatever happens, happens. Okay. And um, you, you know, there's times in life where you come to all these crossroads, and you you've got to take something. And you and sometimes I've taken some, and they've gone down. Okay, a, I was going to ask you: road. Have you made any choices that you regret? Um. I bet there haven't been a lot. There haven't been a lot, but there, there's going to be a few in your life. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it would almost be impossible to go through life and not have regrets. Um, you just would try to like have the scales of justice be more in favor of not right, Like, And I think it could go both ways. Like yeah. things that you did that you wish you hadn't done and things that you didn't do that you wish you'd done. Like is there something that you passed on that you regretted passing on? Um, not so much, but there, there's times where I, I wish something that I had committed to had more success. Because mm-hmm. there's times where I find myself uh, thinking, I wish I'd been in a hit band. Excuse me, because, you know, I sit there and I look at it, I was just thinking, the picture of Flea went by. Mm-hmm. And I'll already think of Bill Wyman or any mm-hmm. of these people. I go, all they've really had to do is be in one group if, and they've made... F- incredible amount of money mm-hmm. in success mm-hmm. and they've only had to learn their songs <laughs> and that's it and, and, and then they're done and 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 i go and i've and, and i've i had somebody do an evaluation at How one point how many people and, that you've played with? yeah well yeah and they said that they they think i've probably recorded be somewhere between 25 and twenty-six thousand songs during the course of my career and you just go, so every time I get a gig with somebody in the studio or whatever, mm-hmm. I've just joined a new band and I have mm-hmm. to learn all this material mm-hmm. and work it up. And, you know, there's just times where I go, it's the greatest life mm-hmm. because I've gotten to work with so many people and so many great musicians mm-hmm. and so many great artists that I, I would never denigrate that. Mm-hmm. But there's times where you go, God, it would just be nice to be able to chill. And just like you find out, like, you know, Chili Peppers are hitting the road. I'm going to go out and do a big arena tour and make tons of money. We're going to be out on the road for like four or five months. And mm-hmm. then you've got the rest of the year to 
kind of do whatever projects you feel like doing or nothing mm -hmm. or go fishing, whatever mm -hmm. you want to do. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm like kind of hustling all year long because I'm not on that, that level of that kind of stuff. But I also appreciate the fact that I get to work with all these different people. So it's a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. as far but you as spent that. a lot of time with James. You've spent a lot oh, of time yeah. with Phil. Yeah. Where you have, don't you have... When you're doing those gigs, do you I, have the feeling that you're in a band? Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Right. But but there's a finite period for each right. of those things, and also your um, everything's predicated on their whims. Right. And you're not you're not, a you're not in a position right. to really make decisions or something. Right. And so um, I'm jumping way ahead, and we're please, gonna go please, back. But please. so the immediate family is kind of yeah, it's a unique experience. Um, we've put this Danny Korchmar, Cooch. Um, who was there with me? Play, uh, played it, my book launch with Steve Postel. Great, great. Um, when we originally worked with James Taylor on that first gig, mm -hmm. it was Danny Korchmar on guitar, Russ Kunkel on drums, myself and Carol King playing piano. And, and how weird that you guys are back together now. Well, that's the whole thing. Mm -hmm. uh, Cooch got a record deal with a Japanese um, label uh, a couple of years ago. That was Carol King. Oh, yeah, amazing. Um, and so Cooch got this record deal and he decided that why not just call the cats and see who's around. So he called me, he called Russ Conkle, he called Waddy Wachtel mm -hmm. and Jim Cox mm -hmm. um, to play keyboards and Steve Postel because Cooch moved back out here from, from back east and he and Steve Postel, I'm not sure exactly how the two of them hooked up. I had, been, it hasn't been that many years. No, it's, it's only been, been a few years. Mm -hmm. um, I had done uh, one of Postel's albums. Mm -hmm. I've known Postel longer than Cooch has. Mm -hmm. Um, so we went in Jackson Brown, um, let us use his studio down in Santa Monica, and Nico Bolas engineered it, mm -hmm. and we went in the studio, and we just had a ball. And, and Cooch ended up calling the album for the Japanese, The, the Immediate Family. And, uh, and then it, we went to Japan and, and, and gigged over there, and we've got some gigs over here, and suddenly it just felt right. And like he would introduce the band, he'd say, we're a cover band that only plays originals. <laughs> you know, which is yeah. which is really great, it but it's true great. because like Cooch co-wrote songs like um, Dirty New York Minute, Dirty Laundry, All She Wants to Do Is Dance. Mm -hmm. um, Waddy was involved with Zevon, so they were doing Werewolves of London and Johnny Strikes Up the Band. Mm -hmm. And so we started putting all these songs together that the, we had all been either writers, producers, or the musicians on it, or had toured with these people. Mm -hmm. And uh, it sort of has taken on a life of its own. Mm -hmm. And now we just are finishing up an, an album of all originals. We've got an, an American label now and a Japanese label. How fabulous. And um, I don't know how many people out there saw the movie The Wrecking Crew about you know the, the, the great heroic musicians of We're the We're going to talk about that too because yeah. I heard your experience with The Wrecking Crew yeah. for you. We'll yeah. talk about that. But, so, but uh, Denny Tedesco, who is the son of Tommy Tedesco, who's probably the greatest studio guitar player who ever lived, mm -hmm. um, did The Wrecking Crew movie and then we've been approached and they're now doing a movie about the immediate family. According so, to Denny, they're way farther into it than you guys think they are. He's yeah, like, yeah, no, they, they've, they've yeah. gone and they're keeping us in the dark. Like they've done all these interviews mm -hmm. and um, I was there with Phil Collins in San Francisco when they interviewed him mm -hmm. and I contacted Billy Bob Thornton and Billy wanted to be interviewed because Billy, I did Billy, one of his albums. He's a really good drummer and stuff. Is he? Yeah, he was, he used to, back when he was in Arkansas, he used to open for Black Oak, Arkansas and stuff. I mean, he's a real muso and he's got his own, his own band and they're on the road And it's not a vanity thing. He's got, no, he's got he's chops. No, he's good. He's got chops mm -hmm. and, and he's really great. 
He's a dear friend. So, but they interviewed James and Jackson and, and Carol and Linda Ronstadt and all these. So we have no idea what's been done. That's fabulous. But we did the played the Iridium in New York, and they came and filmed at that show, and we did a bunch of stuff walking around the streets in New York, and um, and then they've got archivists, you know, digging up all kinds of you know footage and stuff. So we'll see. But I think they're they're taking a presentation to Sundance uh, in next week or this week or something. I was um, talking to, to Danny present. about it at NAMM. He'll be here. Okay, great. And we're going to talk. I said, well, should we wait until the film comes out? He goes, no, no he wants to talk about it now. Yeah, no, it's so, everybody's juices are, are flowing. So, but to get back to where we were at, so mm -hmm. the, the James thing just started. Um, now, when you, excuse me, when you no, met please. James, you, you're not, you were never a druggie, alky, that was never your thing. I'm, being a bass player, I'm a control freak. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And it just, I saw the, the dark side of it all really young. I no mean, addiction in your family? Obviously. No, no not that. I mean, like, I think, you know, my sister probably did more stuff than I, than I would have ever done. I mean, if she did one thing, she did more than I ever did. You didn't even... No, it didn't nothing. appeal to me because I remember playing a gig. I was working with Albert Collins mm -hmm. and we were playing at Otis Art Institute um, back in the 60s. And I came out, and, I, and there was a, was a park across the street, and I heard screaming in the park. And I went over there, and there was a guy on a really bad acid trip. Mm -hmm. And I sat on a bench with him for probably eight hours, Aww. holding him and talking to him. Aww. And finally got him home when he came down enough to mm -hmm. you know, tell me where he lived and everything. And um, it was one of these things. I just went, this can't be right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, just there's something really wrong. And I was around guys that died of meth overdoses, and and then when I got involved with James. Okay, so that's what I was just going to ask you yeah. about because you were with James when he was at he the was, height of his. Yeah, he was. Well, he was, he was doing everything, and then he got involved, and then he was doing methadone forever, trying to kick heroin. But well, you were um, with him when he was doing heroin. Oh though, yeah, weren't you? yeah. So did that impact the art? The thing that was amazing about James was he. He could barely get on stage. We the first tours we did, we all had to sit in chairs because he couldn't really stand. Wow. Never never missed a chord, never missed a note, never forgot a word. Wow. I mean, there was a window that just went this way and the creativity and the juices flowed and then after the gig was over, boom, it was back again and there was this guy who was kinda had issues. Uh huh. But but he was he's so brilliant as mm -hmm. as an artist mm -hmm. that um, you know, I, it always just worried me that I would lose him because I've lost so many people for these kind of situations in this business. And it, it, it scares you with your friends. I mean, I, you, know, you never know. Like we were just talking about when, when we got here about this friend Lloyd Schwartz um, who works, was one of the main guys at Tech 21 out of, out of New York. Mm -hmm. And when the, he's the last guy I was hanging with at NAMM just the, you know, last week and, and died while they were packing up. Had a heart, massive heart attack, and just dropped. Never in a million years and did he, was he look. Absolutely he looked fine. totally fine. We were mm -hmm. hanging out, talking, and so you just don't know. And, and so when you start adding to that, um, drugs and alcohol and all that, you really worry about these people and, mm -hmm. and if if they're going to be around. And and they're people that are, to me, so valuable not only to me as friends, but valuable to society as as the kind of positive motivating factors mm -hmm. for the arts and. And the soul of the country. So I was glad when James cleaned up. Oh, uh, what, did you have you played with anybody that it did get in the way of the music? Um, yeah, I mean mm -hmm. there, there are people that um, 
they thought they were great. You yeah. know, have a couple of drinks and all of a sudden, you know, you would just go, oh, God, really? And things would start going left. But, mm-hmm. you know, it happens. And some of those guys have cleaned up mm-hmm. and they're doing good. And then some of those people died. I mean, a lot have died. So as a session, pl- I'm all over the place. Yeah, no, this it's, is fine it's, it's because I, I, I'm very, I, I go all over the okay, place, Okay, good. Too. So as a session player, sometimes you're playing with people that you don't necessarily love the music that you're playing, I'm yeah. guessing. Yeah, So how do you get through, how, how do you get through that? What, what gets you through that? I, I always look at it as when the phone rings, mm-hmm. you have two choices. Mm-hmm. You can say yes or no. Mm-hmm. If you say yes, you bring your A game, no Love matter that. what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be, I want to be proud of, of what I've done that day. Mm-hmm. And now I, I may be sitting here going, nobody's ever going to hear this. This is this is just horrible. But <laughs> have I'm you gonna, ever said no? Um, no, I, I, I've said no when they called me for the second time. I see. Um, but you don't know what you're going to walk into, right. so you. So I, I always generally said yes. And so the one example that you gave that you didn't know what you were walking into, Bernie Williams, for yeah. example, right? Yeah. Shocked. Yeah, I mean, totally surprised. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's this guy who's the center fielder for the New York Yankees. He's mm-hmm. he's got a bunch of World Series rings. He's mm-hmm. one of the best players in baseball, and I get a call to say he's going to do kind of a Latin fusion jazz album on guitar. <laughs> And you kind of go, hear. okay, okay, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And we walk in the studio. We went back to New York to cut it. And he comes in the studio, pulls his guitar up, starts playing, and completely all our jaws hit the floor and said, no, this guy's the real deal. I mean, it's like playing with Aldemiola or one of these guys. And has that, has that happened? Well, he was a music student. When oh. he lived in Puerto Rico, uh-huh. he, he, it's, there's two brothers. It's mm-hmm. Bernie and, and his brother. Um, I forget his brother's name now. It's Hiram, I think. Um, who was um, a violinist or mm-hmm. a cellist. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he said all through school he was a music major. Mm-hmm. And um, when he, uh, uh, but he loved playing baseball. And apparently some scouts saw him playing baseball when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. And, and they recruited him, and that's how he ended up doing that. But they said he always had a guitar like in the dugout during the games and stuff. He'd just be sitting there playing. That was his thing that he did. Mm-hmm. So when he, he, we recorded the album while he was still with, with the Yankees, mm-hmm. but then within a couple of years, he had peaked out and retired. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you, you just never know what's going to happen. Did you just play with him at NAMM? Over no, I, I saw a picture of mm-hmm. him at NAMM. I, I wrote to him. I said, mm-hmm. man, I'm sorry I missed you, mm-hmm. but NAMM is such an arduous experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm good for, I mean, I was there for the full run of it. But it's a kind of thing like I, I try to walk an aisle and it can take like two hours of <laughs> my whole name experiences. Yeah. You know, oh yeah. yeah sure. It's more like this. Well, it's a lot of a lot of this. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Okay. How, how did how did that okay. start? Okay. So so for some reason people have come to equate me with with giving the finger. I hardly ever gave the finger unless I was driving on the freeway and some schmuck did something that really pissed me off. Okay. You know, and then I would, but when when. When I was out um, on Phil Collins's tour in 2004, mm-hmm. there was a, they had a bass tech for me named Steve Winstead, Chenner was mm-hmm. his nickname. And um, he said to me when, we, when the tour started, he says, mm-hmm. what do you need, man, what do you need? He was so excited to, and I said, I don't know, I've always teched myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always done my own gear and stuff. I don't know what to tell you to do. I really, I guess just see that the amp's on stage and 
you know, stuff arrived. Mm -hmm. So he ended up becoming kind of like a general gopher for the tour, mm -hmm. you know, getting lozenges for the singers and all this stuff. <laughs> and here's this guy who's super qualified to be like a monster's bass tech without mm -hmm. a gig, basically, because mm -hmm. I really had, you know, nothing to do. I just dug the guy and everything, and we hung out on the road. So at the end of the tour, there was talk about um, Phil was pretty serious about retiring at that point. When was this? 2004 or five, right okay. in there. Uh -huh. Um, and um, he did, did, he did he, for he, 10 years say, for 10 did, years yeah. he called it quits mm -hmm. um, I think he at that point he was just weary you know mm -hmm. after all the years of him Genesis all the brand X all the things he'd done mm -hmm. I think at that point he just wanted to go home he had two young sons at that point mm -hmm. and he he wasn't there for his older kids that much so he wanted to be a stay-at-home dad um, so at the end of the tour, I thought, I'm just take pictures of everybody and make myself a little photo album. And the first guy I go up to is, is Chinner. And he's sitting in his laptop working. And I said, hey, hey, man, you know, give me a smile. And he's sitting there and he goes. <laughs> and I took a picture and I looked at the picture and I went, that's pretty, pretty cool. So I went around and got everybody on the tour to flip me off. Phil, his manager, all the band, the crew, everybody had like a hundred one little innocent moment yeah just one innocent moment turned into like 120 photographs and then i just tucked it into a folder in my laptop and that was it then a few years later um they called me and asked me if i would go um on the road with toto mm -hmm. because mike Picaro was too ill at that point to go on to go back out and they had like another year of touring to do so I said, no, absolutely. I mean, it was, it was really, it was tough because the tour was starting in five days and oh, I had wow. to learn the whole uh -huh. show. And, and they were, the second week of it, they were going to be filming. They're falling in between videos. So, oh, wow. I mean, it was, I was stressed out, but I love the guys. Mm -hmm. You know, I've known Luke since he was 19 years old Aww. and stuff. So it was really family. Mm -hmm. uh, and during the course of that, I kind of went, well, I'll get all these guys to flip mm -hmm. me off. And I ended up, by the time everything ended... With that tour, I had probably had like 300 pictures, and I, I've I've known as a collector because I'm a, for most of my life was a voracious kitsch collector, and so you know one one or two of something is one thing, but when you've got 50 of that thing, it turns into another thing, it takes on an energy of its own, mm -hmm. and so I kept looking at these pictures, going, hmm, you know, we'll see what happens with this. Well, now it's I've probably got 11 and a half thousand pictures of people giving me the finger. Um, <laughs> So, Everywhere I go, I mean, people come up and flip me off, and I go, "It's because you're number one." And it's so, and it's pictures of them flipping you yeah, off. Yeah, them flipping me off. Okay, it's I not, mean, no, I, it's no, it's I, I want pictures of people giving me the finger. So we, Lee and I were talking before the show about him compiling these into a coffee table book. So for those of you out there, we have a lot of writers, publishers who watch the show. So help if me. You have experience with putting together a coffee table book. Come talk to Lee because he's he's because I'm really it. serious about this and it, it it is pretty fabulous. I mean, one of my favorite pictures is I did um, a uh, uh, Grammys a few years ago mm -hmm. with Merle Haggard, Christopherson, and Willie Nelson. I got the three of them oh, flipping me on. off together. It's really just a great job. I've got you know, it's it. There's a lot of celebrities mm -hmm. in it: Jack Nicholson, Gwyneth Paltrow, and a, and a lot of musicians from Barry Manilow to Phil Collins to James Taylor. But it's also just the people on the streets. So tell them what you told me about what your favorite part of those pictures is. Well, the, the thing to me that that really there's X amount of ways to do this. I mean, mm -hmm. certain the face is infinite. Mm -hmm. 
And the, the looks people give you when they're flipping you off, everything from like, <laughs> to, you know, it's the whole gamut of humanity. Do you have any old ladies giving you the I've, I'm, The oldest I have is 102. Oh my God. Um, I have a nun. In there. The, the, the youngest I have, and I wouldn't use it in the book because I no. didn't take the picture, but the youngest in the book is this friend of mine, Chris Caswell's granddaughter's ultrasound. There's an ultrasound and there's this little hand doing that. I've got lots of babies and stuff. You know, I mean, no, I mean, it's just not what I expected. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fabulous. But, but all kinds of stuff in, in, in families. I've got like, you know, parents and their kids. I got the whole Nokia theater in one shot during a Mark and Brian Christmas show. Um, yeah, that's pretty fabulous. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I mean, all kinds of stuff. And, and to me, it's so engaging when you really start looking at all these pictures and like when I did I was doing an album with Barry Manilow and I said come on Barry flip me off and he kind of goes like this and I go no no really let's go and he puts on his wrapper on sunglasses and goes I mean looks like a child molester I mean, it's so creepy uh, Art Garfunkel is like so weird in this picture that he did I and mean, he got into this head so you thing. do that so if you go if you go well, on I, the thing is I take the picture like that because I don't want people to have too much time to think about right, it right right you know and, and kind of plant themselves and, yeah kind yeah. of get them initially when they're doing it because that's mm-hmm. usually when you catch the real right thing going on but the some people jump it one, there was a great one um, we were playing with um, I think it was might have been, I can't remember if it's the James Taylor Carol King reunion tour mm. or Phil. I think it was James and Carol, but we played Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. And there was a security guy working Madison Square Garden. And I said, you got to flip me off because his arms ceased to, to develop past his elbow, but there was a nub of a finger. Like, and it was just. A- it, and so he just went like this. And there was this little <laughs> finger coming out of the Aww. end of his arm. So I went, no, this is great. I've, I've, you know, really arthritic hands. Are great. There was a guy in, in New Zealand who kept going like this to me. And I kept up, no, no, I want this. And he kept going like this. And then I finally realized this finger was missing and it was those two fingers he was putting. He had lost this finger. So, I mean, it's just these weird little moments, but there's so many backstories to so many of the right, pictures right. that really is. So you'll do that. You'll what do I would some... probably do is have some pages that are packed with pictures and right. other pages that have maybe a couple of pictures mm-hmm. with, with stories about them that are really intriguing stories. And um, But I'd really like to get this out because I've had people for years now saying, when are you going to get that book out there? So I know there's an audience for it. Oh, yeah. you know, people have really been curious about it. And I really think it's, I think it's an important legacy to leave. I mean, I'm kind of looking at everything now because I'll be turning 73. Mm-hmm. And I kind of go, you know, there's a finite amount of time left. That's why, like, I just did these panels at, at NAM, and I do lots. Of, I love doing things like this because I think at a certain point it's really important to share what you've done, not from an egocentric standpoint, but just for for the history, history. of what we all do. And, and do you? I mean, you're still so vibrant, so young. You 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 don't see an end to this, do you? No, I just the end will be when I just keel over yeah. one day, and, yeah. and that'll be it. Or it's like. Uh, uh, Charlton Heston would say they'll have to pry my base out of my cold dead fingers. <laughs> okay, so speaking of Charlton Heston, oh so, yeah. So yeah. how did this happen, and when did this happen? Because it's your thing; you can never undo this. Now, how did that happen? Um, I think a lot of it was when I was in high school. It was a really repressive time in, in this country. I mean, they had grooming guards and stuff, so like you couldn't have facial hair. 
Um, they would check, make sure your hair didn't go over your you ears. You weren't allowed to wear jeans. Like I came yeah. just at the point where we were allowed to wear jeans to school. Yeah, it was. True? It was. They were pretty. Like with girls, they would say you the can't wear dress. patent leather shoes because boys could see under your dress and your shoes. I mean, just this BS crap. Right. Um, but you know, it was. I was fortunate that coming from strong Eastern European Russian stock, that I started shaving when I was like twelve. Oh wow! You know, you know I mean, I could pull off a beard. So Were you a long hair in the '60s? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, I usually had like big mutton chops and a handlebar mustache. Mm-hmm. I'd wax it every day and do all that crap. <laughs> but the thing that was great was when I was younger, every summer I would grow a beard um, so I could go play clubs. And I, you were I, I would be age. like 15, you know, and stuff. But I could get in and play the lighthouse and mm-hmm. different jazz clubs and stuff around. Was it ever? Did it ever? Was it ever an issue that you couldn't play because you were too young to be in the club? Um, did they? Ever nobody ever you? questioned it. Okay. Now the only time I ever got questioned about this, um, to go back in, in into the wayback machine, mm-hmm. there was the a wayback machine. Yeah, um, one of the. Um, oldest relationships I have in the music business is with a guy named Dan Dugmore. Mm-hmm. Dan played steel and guitar with Ronstadt, with James Taylor. I mean, he's now like kind of one of the kings of steel and all that down in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan is an amazing musician. Well, we were in a band called the Brimstones in 66 mm-hmm. together. And uh, we got a gig playing the senior prom for uh, Canoga Park High School. And at that point, I'd been out of high school a year, so I hadn't shaved or cut my hair or anything. Um, we show up for the gig, and the principal comes in and says, no way that guy's going to be on our stage. I mean, they were just really offended by the, having this hippie in there. And I thought, well, I don't want to screw this up. This is a good gig for the band and everything, and these kids are expecting a fun evening. So my amp was on stage, and the band was on stage, and then my cord ran back behind the curtain, and I played the whole show standing behind the curtain. Oh, stop! So nobody ever saw me at it, so I didn't have to taint their, you know, their, the purity of, the, of this. So those kind, kind of moments always kind of stick with you. Remember? Okay, so that just reminded me of you have a certain thing on your bass to throw people off. I'm trying to remember what it's called, what you call it. The producer switch? Your, your producer switch. Tell well, us about your producer switch. That emanated from a session with uh, Tommy Tedesco. Okay. We were doing, I think the session was, because I used to do tons and tons of TV shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked on the music for those. Um, we How were, did that start for you? Um, I was in a band called Group Therapy in 1967. Mm-hmm. Our producer was Mike Post. Ah. And Mike Post at that time was the musical director for the Andy Williams show, and he had just produced Classical Gas with Mason Williams. Now, when he started doing TV with Pete Carpenter, um, I had, for at that point, started getting a reputation in the studio. So um, he tracked me back down and asked if I did it, and I started with him with The Rockford Files was the first show we did together, and then I did basically every TV show he did after that Magnum P.I. and the A-Team and Hill Street Blues wow. and all those shows. Um, but How did the session work start for you? Because of James. Now, one thing I will say is one of the most... I love Peter Asher. I mean, I've known Peter a long time and, and he's a very dear friend. One of the things he did mm-hmm. um, when we did James's One Man Dog was the first album I did with James mm-hmm. at that point. Up to that point, hardly anybody's names was ever put on records. 
as credits of the musicians. That's why the Is wrecking that crew. That's why nobody knew who the wrecking crew guys were because they would be listening to the Mamas and the Papas and the Association and Frank Sinatra and Tijuana Brass. Mm -hmm. Same guys on all those records. So same musicians. Friend of mine. Yeah. So yeah. people didn't know it though. So Peter put our names, mm -hmm. Russ and me and, mm -hmm. and Cooch and everybody on James's record. And that was the beginning of that movement. Wow. So all of a sudden, when people like Jackson Brown and all these different singer-songwriters mm -hmm. were starting to get signed, mm -hmm. whoever was doing them would look at James's album and say, well, if those guys are good enough for him, let's call them. And wow. basically, for myself, um, I really had to learn how to be a studio musician on the job. Uh -huh. It's not one of those things that you're really prepared for. I mean... How so? so well, you, playing in a club, mm -hmm. in a band, you get away with murder in there in terms of sound and noise. You get in a studio where everything's under a microscope. You really have to figure out how to craft a sound, consistency. Um, Did everyone uh, you played with in the, stu in the studio uh, know how to read? No. Uh -huh. um, the, the ones who really went on to be real studio guys, mm -hmm. yeah, you have to read. Mm -hmm. You have to read. And that was, for me, the blessing of having spent so many years as a pianist, mm -hmm. classical pianist, so I could read bass clef, treble clef, tenor clef, all, mm -hmm. all those things. Mm -hmm. um, I know a number of guys um, that got called to do those sessions and suddenly they'd be handed this giant, you know, six pages of fly shit that they just, you know, they just shut down at that point. Right. Unfortunately, the producer, or whoever was doing it, recognized it and we would make enough time because there was time then. It wasn't like everybody now, everything's like, got to do it like this, you know. In those days, you'd be in the studio for a week. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were doing an album project, two weeks, a month, mm -hmm. it, it would go on so you would have time to accommodate mm -hmm. situations. Mm -hmm. um, but for, for being a hardcore player, you really have to be able to read music, you have to be able to read chord sheets, you have to be able to like a Nashville number chart, mm -hmm. um, or nothing. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's a challenge, it's, a, it's like it's... It's a hard gig, mm -hmm. and I'll tell you one of my most interesting experiences was there was a country artist I had done a number of records with, and um, so he had called me and he said, you know, I'm getting ready to go in the studio. Are you available? Let's do it. And I said, yeah. And uh, John Robinson was playing drums on it, and about four days or so before we went in the studio, he called me sheepishly and he said, look, the road band would really like to do this record. And I knew all the guys in the road band. They were a great band. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought, well, hell, you know, why not? You know, let, you know mm -hmm. go for it. And so they went in the studio, and I, you know, uh, the, 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 they had cut us off so late that we were going to get paid something for the, for the cancellation. Mm -hmm. So I figured I'll just work around the yard and do something. I wasn't going to worry about it. And a couple of days later, um, he called me, and he said, are you still available? And uh, so I said, yeah. So he said, can, so can we get back in the studio? And he said, is it cool if the band hangs out? Um, I said, sure, I would love to see the guys and all that. So we get in the studio and we all have our, you know, just saying hi and everything. And I look in the control room and they're all back there behind the window watching. And he comes out with his acoustic guitar and plays the first song off to us. And we're writing our little notes on scribbling out notes and get it in the first take. And we go back in and the guys are all going, how did you think of that part? I said, that's the difference between what you do and what I do. Mm -hmm. I said, we make the record, then you guys go into rehearsal for a month or so, learn all the stuff, then you go on the road for three months with it. By the time the tour is over, 
it's probably better than what we did on the record because we've had like an hour to come up with it and you've wow. had months to refine it. Wow. Um, but I said, that's, that's what we do is come up with parts mm. on these things. And, and it was like this epiphanal moment for everybody there. And they said, you know, because they never saw that because they knew the song so well, they almost felt they had written the parts. I was going to say. And, and so people, suddenly when they had a blank canvas, they just kind of sat there, didn't really know how to come up with the ideas for the songs. Mm -hmm. So it's it's interesting how the process and they works. Pro those parts probably get attributed to them. I'm sure they do to them. Well, well to certainly the people that come to the concert mm -hmm. and see it. I mean, anybody who's like an album geek right. that sits and reads credits on the things would know that they weren't the guys that were on it. Except those days are kind of over, aren't they? Well, yeah. you start, yeah, it's kind of over because mm -hmm. it's it, 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 was, it was bad enough when it was CDs. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you, you get a, a thing this big with tons of red writing on a brown background. Right. And you'd need like, you know, it's just like it's impossible to read this crap. It's like microfilm or something like that. And then now with streaming, there's nobody knows who did anything. That's, I mean, you have to dig so deep to get information. And plus, there's so few people actually making... I mean, we could get into this so deep about the loss of albums and, and what that's done to music and what the digital revolution did to music. But... You know, there's so many projects now where people aren't even doing albums. They're just cutting songs and putting them out there. There's right. no, and the whole idea. Are from, you guys pressing vinyl, by the way? Um, I th we'll we'll talk to the label about it. Mm -hmm. When I'm touring with Judith Owen, yes. we've got we've got vinyl, and we're probably selling more vinyl than CDs. Is that last so? year? Apparently, was the first year where out where vinyl has outsold CDs. Wow. Um, I mean, there's a beauty. I mean, to me, the idea of, of playing a record, mm -hmm. it's like a Japanese tea ceremony. I mean, you take this record out and you clean it and you put it on the turntable and you might have a super high-tech one with all these beautiful balancing arms and stuff. And you might have one where you've got a penny on the, um, the tone arm, you know, just to weigh it down. Um, but, but then you, you have but to you could sit in, with the cover. But, but you know, you could sit and read things, and a lot of albums had great inserts mm. in them and stuff. I mean, our first section album had this fabulous poster that was done by Rick Griffin um, that's just incredible, who did Murphy the Surfer. He was like one of the main guys out of the San Francisco poster movement. Mm -hmm. And he did this cartoon. Um, I wanted to poster. talk about the section, but it's before the section where you guys didn't get to play your own music, where the Wrecking Crew was you. Yeah, that what, was, what was that, that was about? when I was in the, the band Group Therapy that okay, Mike so, Post was producing. So and now, why did you guys? We not... were inexperienced. We weren't. We had never been in the studio before. Okay. So how old are you? Um, probably at that point. 19. Okay. Maybe. Mm -hmm. And we went into United Re Studio A. And, you know, this is like, wow, wow. <laughs> Sit down on the couch looking through the window, and I look, and there's Hal Blaine, there's Mike Rubini, Mike Melfoyne, and Larry Nectel on keyboards, mm -hmm. Jim Gordon's the new young percussionist mm -hmm. in town. Um, Who's you? Is Carol K you? Uh, uh, Carol would have, would have been me, or, mm -hmm. and, and Bobby West was playing upright. Um, Dennis Budimir and, uh, I forget who, Al Casey, I think, were the guitarists on it, because Al years later was being interviewed and he said, I can't even believe I once worked on a record that Lee Sklar was in the band and they wouldn't let him play. <laughs> but I really wasn't qualified, never been in a studio before. So we're watching all this and I'm thinking to myself, and this is 67, uh -huh. and I'm thinking, not in a million years could I do this. I'm watching the process. And three years later, I was working with those guys every day. <laughs> so it's just weird. And I worked with Hal for many years. I probably did a hundred albums with Hal. And I loved Hal dearly. Mm -hmm. but. So we'll go back to the producer switch okay. now. Sorry, I, I have <laughs> no, like, no. I love, uh, yeah. I, I love this train of thought. You know, uh -huh. and just let's just have an adventure. 
Um, so we're doing this 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 TV show or whatever we were doing, and I'm mm -hmm. sitting to Tommy's right, and all they can see, we got baffles set up, mm -hmm. ISO baffles, and the guy who's conducting is across the room, and it's probably about 40-piece orchestra in the room. Mm -hmm. So all you can see is about, we look like Kilroy. There's just like this much of our face showing. And he goes, oh, Tommy, on this one, could I hear some mandolin? So Tommy goes like this and bends over and picks up a mandolin, starts playing. He goes, no, that's not it. Goes through like a half a dozen instruments that he, until he finally hears what he wants to hear. And Tommy keeps accommodating. Well, I'm sitting here crying because Tommy only had his acoustic guitar behind the baffle. So he just kept bending over like he was picking something else up until the guy, but played in different positions until the guy finally, because he was that good a musician. Mm -hmm. And I, I looked over him. Did I it said, sound like a mandolin when he was yeah, playing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Tommy was a genius. Mm -hmm. um, but I looked over at him and I said, I just learned more in five minutes how this business works than I did all through junior high, high school, college, all that. I said, this, and I went home and immediately drilled a hole in my base, bought a switchcraft switch and put it in. There's no wires or anything going to it. It just was a switch. And when people would say, can you make that bass part? Maybe give me some, a little more shimmer. I would make sure they saw me flip the switch. And then I, would just, then I would just move my hand position and they'd go, cool, that's great. And it just saved me because otherwise... Did you ever get busted? No. You have never been busted. Well, now you will be. Well, <laughs> well, at this point, it's too well known. That's right. Um, and and I did a signature bass for Warwick basses mm -hmm. out of Germany. And um, did you do? Did you? They, do they, we did a beautiful producer switch because it's a semi-acoustic bass, <laughs> and when you flip the switch, it's it's a whole group of LED lights that different colors each one representing apparently a different sound. And if you don't like any of them, when you get to the last position, there's an inlaid red hand giving the finger. <laughs> it's fantastic. Everybody who sees it goes berserk. And all it is is a nine volt battery going to these lights. There doesn't affect it doesn't anything. Change it doesn't change anything. But you can change how you're playing to, mm. to accommodate it. But um, so it's just funny people all of a sudden. And, and back in the day when Jim Roberts uh, was the editor of Bass Player Magazine. Mm -hmm. Every April, they would do joke ads in it. You know, people didn't know they were oh, joke April ads, Fools. but it was uh -huh. April Fool's. Right. And they did an ad for the Leland Sklar producer switch. He said, you have no idea how many people wrote in <laughs> wanting to know how they could buy one, not knowing what it does. They right. just saw it was me and a producer switch, and they figured it must do something cool. Very cool. And I was thinking, you know, who should have done it, you know, Jack? You know, 1995. You would have had the pet rock. Oh, absolutely. Okay. It would have been the pet yeah. rock. It would have been that. So, So okay. So now talk about the Frankenstein bass. Like, how did, what's that well, about? It was, it was one of these weird things. I ended up, I, I one of my first basses of real professional basses, mm -hmm. I bought, I got my hands on this 1962 Fender Jazz bass for 90 bucks. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful instrument that was like all perfect with the, all the felt mutes and the cover plates and all that. And I'm in college at this point, and one night I get all bored and I get out a hacksaw and some shit and I cut this, carve it in to make it look more like a Les Paul body. And I carve peace signs and onks and all this crap on the hippie stuff. Um, which kind of screwed up the weight of the body, so then I put a two pound block of lead in the end of the strap to, so that it would, would be balanced. And I played that. Uh, that's the bass I used on all the early James Taylor, Jackson wow. Brown. I used it on Spectrum with Billy Cobham. Mm -hmm. so, well, at one point, I got my hands on a, um, a 62 Precision neck. Now, I'm not a fan of Precision basses. It's a little too tubby for me. Um, but I thought, this is a really good piece of wood and everything. So I checked, and there was a company out um, 
east of here um, called Charvel, mm -hmm. and Charvel was making replacement parts and all that. So I went out there, and there was a stack of precision blank alder precision bodies mm -hmm. um, in, in the place. So I picked them all up, and the guy said, well, you want to take a listen? I said, sure. And I said, do you have a piece of wire? And he said, well, yeah, you got a piece of wire. And I just hung each one from a piece of wire and just tapped them until, and one of them just went, boom. It just had this resonance. I said, I'll take this one. I went, and it, at that time, this was around 73, mm -hmm. the watering hole for most of the musicians in L.A. was Westwood Music, Fred mm -hmm. Wallachy. Uh, it was just what you'd walk in there anytime and you'd see Jackson would be in there, Ry Cooter would be in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, they had everything from practically like Stradivarius violins to like the funkiest stuff. And Fred, his passion for, for music was just astounding. Mm -hmm. And so it was great. And the guy who ran their repair shop was John Carruthers. Mm -hmm. So I went in and they, he had done repair work for me. And I said, look, I've got this body and I've got this neck. Um, let's make a bass out of it. Now, the thing was, so we made it an experimental bass. Uh, since I like a jazz bass, mm -hmm. uh, I brought my jazz bass in and we took a template off the neck. Mm -hmm. And he reshaped this precision neck to be a jazz neck. In, in, the, in doing that process, we had to pull the frets out of the bass to, mm -hmm. to redo it all. And I'm walking around the shop while he's doing it, and I look at, and there's rings of fret wire hanging on the wall. And most bases have kind of medium to jumbo frets on them. Mm -hmm. And I saw this fret wire that was so thin and small. And I said, what's that? And he goes, that's for mandolin. I said, let's use that. He said, well, no, it'll just wear out really fast. And you just, I said, no, let's try it. If it doesn't work, you know, I pay you for a refret, and we'll just do it. Uh -huh. So we put that in. The body that I got from Charvel was a precision um, blank body. Mm -hmm. Now, the way pickups were laid out uh, on those was if you if you got the neck here and the body here, they would be, uh, uh, the pickup for the G and the D string would be here and the A and the E string would be here. And mm -hmm. I kind of thought, just by the nature of the timbre of those strings, if we're going to do this, why don't we reverse them so that the lower strings are closer to the bridge and be more clarity. But I said, I also really like a jazz bass. So what we did was that little area where those two pickups were, we put two 9-volt batteries in that and then put two sets of precision pickups where jazz pickups would have normally gone, rerouted it for those in this reverse position. Mm -hmm. um, Rick Turner had just started EMG pickups, and I got a, a pair of his first pickups for that. And I had a, um, a badass two-bridge. So we, I call it Frankenstein because it was all these pieces mm -hmm. and, and stuff. And, um, and it could have been a piece of crap. And the minute we plugged it in, we just went, oh, my God, this thing is unbelievable. You created a monster. Created a monster. Yeah. And I've used that on probably 90% of everything I've ever recorded. Oh, it, my it, God. It is that bass. And it's sitting at home. I use it. Um, How many bases do you have? I don't have that many. I'm not a collector. Mm -hmm. um, I just, in fact, I'm unloading a mountain of gear right now. If anybody's interested, <laughs> um, we just, I had all my gear in a warehouse mm -hmm. and, and we just unloaded three truckloads of gear that is going to be going online. I, I took 10 bases. They took 10, but I've got bases in like all the hard rocks um, around the world. Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of dealing with them over the years. Um, and I've donated a lot of bases to charities mm -hmm. for their auctions. Mm -hmm. And uh, but right now I've probably got about six. You know, oh, I mean, it's pretty yeah. much what what does my job for mm -hmm. me. Um, to me, it's not really fair to have an instrument sit in a closet or in a warehouse. It really needs to be played. 
So you don't collect bases, but you collect kitsch. Yeah. So like, what's the kitsch that turns you? Because we were talking about Allie Wilson. Well, there's so much. So okay, so like, she was into lunch boxes. She was into. Yeah, I've got, I've got, I've got everything from a huge amount of fiesta wear to um, German uh, carved, uh, like Bavarian hall trees with carved bears. Um, Are you a big eBay person? She was a big eBay. She really was eBay. Yeah. My wife does some eBay, but for me, not drinking and not doing drugs, I had a lot of time on the road to myself when everybody else was still unconscious. Oh. I would take empty road cases on the road, and as we would hit towns, I would go out and I would just hit all the junk shops wow. and stuff, and I would load cases up and you know come home with tons of stuff. I was a voracious flea marketer. I mean, every weekend was flea markets. It would be the Rose Bowl, San Fernando, mm -hmm. Long Beach, Santa Monica. So I was always out scrounging. Did you ever, like, find something that was, like, such a fine... Like the oh, person, lots. Like, people, they, lots. they're selling it for 50 cents and it's yeah. something, like, so... Uh, there was a company called Lashes back at the turn of the last century that in soda fountains, they made these big bisque china things. They made syrup. So, mm -hmm. like, if you wanted to have, like, an orange aid, mm -hmm. this thing would look like a big orange with mm -hmm. a pump on it. And the guy would pump that into it and then do seltzer and you'd have this, this drink. Mm -hmm. They're really expensive. And I remember finding one, uh, an orange, at, at a swap meet. And it was, like, 200 bucks or mm -hmm. something. Oh, i got to get that. That's such a steal. Well, we were getting ready to play Tanglewood with James Taylor. Mm -hmm. And Tanglewood is right next to a little town called Lee, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. So I w we were staying at a hotel there, and I walked down the street, and there was like a secondhand shop, and there was a lemon, a lashes line, because it says lashes on the outside, mm -hmm. 25, it's marked. And I'm going, oh, crap. So I go in trying to be cool. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I, can I get that lemon in the window? And the woman comes back and starts wrapping up, and I start to get my wallet. She goes, that'll be 25 cents, please. It was a quarter. Oh, and the thing was probably worth like 1,200 bucks at that, and that was like, you know, 30 back years then, ago. Right. Um, there are lots That's of things fun. like that, but the thing is, it's only really worth that if you go and resell. And I, I've really hardly ever sold anything. I just unloaded some stuff with a guy who came to the house through a friend of mine who I'd bought stuff from. This guy came, and he just wanted to see the collection. And the next thing you know, he sends me an email with a whole list of different things he'd seen with what he's willing to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And I said, sure. And they came over, and I sold him a bunch of stuff, and I'm getting ready to have him come back. And there's a bunch more things and I've got a hot rod and I might actually he's now dealing with a major auto auction and I might take have them take the hot rod to that because I just don't have time okay so let's talk about another passion of yours art yeah so you started out you were drawing yeah how did you get into sculpting like what um... well because when I got into college you really had to take everything and ceramics mm -hmm. um, sculpture wood shop and mm -hmm. all that um, I remember woodshop really well, only because uh, the teacher was giving us a safety demonstration on the table saw and cut his finger off giving the safety oh, demonstration. Oh, come on. Cut it off? It was, yeah, it went rolling off the table. There was blood squirting all over. Oh, and God. at the end of the hall, they had one of those Coke machines where the glass would fall, the ice would fall uh -huh. in. And we did that. As soon as the ice was in it, we grabbed that, put his finger in the ice, went to the hospital, and they sewed it back on. Oh. But they, it was his little finger, and he had lost... That joint, so the top of his, he had a little short little finger, but we were going, we would have understood what you meant. You didn't have to be this graphic, you know, about the whole thing. Wow. But um, my, my sculpture teacher was a guy named Bob Bassler, mm -hmm. who is still up at, at Valley State College. Mm -hmm. 
And um, he turned me on to welding, and I fell in love with welding. And to me, that's still my favorite art form I've ever done, more than music or anything, was, was working in steel. What? Yeah, I loved it. And, and a lot of it was because, now when you put that mask on, your entire world is that big. It's a light that big. Everything disappears. And I got to know all the teachers well enough up there where I got keys to the, to the building. Mm -hmm. And I would sometimes go and stay up all night working and then go to classes in the morning, just lock up and, and leave. They trusted me to do that. And I just loved it. I just loved that creative process. And I loved the fact I was working in metal. And if something just pissed me off, I could throw it across the room and not break it like a piece of marble. And I might dent something. And I go, oh, that's cool. That helps. Do you still do it? No. Um, I don't have any setup for it. I've still got um, gauges and stuff at home, but I don't, I really don't have. I thought by this age, I would be out in the past year and I would just be doing things to amuse welding. myself. Yeah, welding and, uh, or, or doing illustrations or something. And it just, it's, it's just, you know, in a, in a kind of flavor of the moment business. Mm -hmm. And that still is pretty much youth driven. It's remarkable how many older acts are the ones that are out working mm -hmm. and that have the longevity. It's mm -hmm. it's amazing when I sit there and I look at McCartney's working. I went uh, when I was out with Toto, we were in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and uh, we're checking into our hotel, mm -hmm. and we hear on the window outside. And we turn around, there's Abe Jr. out there, and what the hell are you doing here? Abraham Laboreal Jr. is the drummer with Paul McCartney. And his father's one of the great bass players oh, and Abe Sr. is. I love Abe Sr. I just had, we had James Gadsden on a couple oh, yeah, weeks ago. James. And James and Abe together are crazy. Yeah. Oh, it's it's unbelievable. So he, so he came in. He said, what are you guys up to? He said, well, we're playing down the street tomorrow night. He goes, well, we're playing there tonight with Paul. Why don't you come to the show? So we go back and we go over early and we're sitting in the dressing room with Paul. Mm -hmm. Talking in, and I'm. And yeah, we're sitting in the dressing room. With well, Paul. yeah, I mean, it's that kind of. <laughs> but for me, the, the 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 fun part of it was, because uh, I had met Paul. Um, to digress for a moment, we played uh, with Phil. We did a thing at Nebworth outside of London in 1990. It's a giant fundraising thing, mm -hmm. and it was one of those evenings. It, it's it's McCartney, it's Elton, it's Clapton, right. it's Genesis, it's mm -hmm. Pink Floyd, mm -hmm. Phil Zeppelin. Everybody mm -hmm. is at the same. And we put a thing together with Phil and Genesis, with the, those, the three guys, and then Phil's band. Uh -huh. It was great. But I walked back into the lunch area, and there's Paul sitting with Linda. And I'm just going, I've got to say something. I, I'm going to break some glass and just crawl through it to get over to the tail, because this guy, to me, was one of the, the biggest influences of my life. And I get over and he goes, oh, God, Lee Sklar, I always wanted to meet you. And I go, don't do this to oh me. Don't my screw this God. up. So we start talking. And I said, you know, funny, the last time I saw you, I was an usher at the Hollywood Bowl when the Beatles played there. Were you really? Yeah, yeah. at the 66 show. Wow. Um, so it goes back to that. So, so we went back, and it was great to see him again. And we're sitting in the dressing room. And at that time, I think Paul was 70 or 72, mm -hmm. a few years ago. And we start talking. He goes, yeah, it's always funny when people say, when are you going to retire? And he just goes, from what? I mean, this is kind of like, in, this is your DNA. This mm -hmm. is what you are meant to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, I don't know what else I would do. I mean, we all have interests. Mm -hmm. I love gardening. I love tinkering around with things. But when everything's said and done, mm -hmm. the thing that I'm going to look at is the music. Is okay, so let's talk about touring for a bit now at yeah. this stage of life. Is it still fun? I love it. Absolutely love it. I think if I was put in a situation where somebody said, you can either do studio work or tour, mm -hmm. I would pick touring. 
over But recording. you tour well. Well, it's well, but I also don't tour well. Really? Yeah, I mean, when, I, when, I, when we go out on the road, like with Judith Owen, mm-hmm. or when the immediate family's mm-hmm. going out, you know, we're, we're looking for kind of inexpensive, mm-hmm. you know, we're traveling commercial and mm-hmm. coach and, mm-hmm. and stuff. I mean, to me, I, I, I see nothing, I, I always look at like those really insane tours like Phil, where we've got a private plane right. and all that kind of stuff. I kind of look at it as, it's, it's just a moment in my life. This isn't, this isn't how I live and this isn't what my expectation should mm-hmm. be of what I do. My expectation is to be a working musician. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'll take whatever comes along. I, one of my favorite bands I ever was involved with was a group called Barefoot Servants. This was in 1993. Mm-hmm. Um, I was up in um, above San, there was a studio called The Site, which was across from Skywalker Ranch mm-hmm. north of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I was doing, I can't, it was either a Linda Ronstadt record or Jimmy Webb. I, I can't remember which one we were in. It might have been Linda. Mm-hmm. But um, Michael Frondelli, who, who was one of the guys that ran Capital, mm-hmm. he contacted me. He said, look, I got this band and we're going to go in the studio, but they, there's no bass player in it. So can I send you some stuff to listen to mm-hmm. and see what you think? I listened to like five notes and called him back said count me in wow um it was john butcher from john butcher's axis who still is like the king of boston mm-hmm. music scene um i mean it's like being with hendrix i mean this guy's like so ridiculous wow. um ben it's two guitars mm-hmm. it was two guitars and drums mm-hmm. uh, and ben schultz was the other guitarist mm-hmm. and ray brinker who works with tierney sutton um was the drummer on it and so I came back and we went in for a few days um, to, to rehearse and learn mm-hmm. the material so we could plow through this record, you know, just cut it as live as possible at wow. Capitol. And I love these guys. And I said, look, if you need somebody to go on the road with you, I'll, I'll do it. I'd love to do it. And I turned down a really big tour to go on the road for wow. uh, almost two months just for per diem because wow. um, I believed in the music that much. Wow. And it's still to me, people come up to me on the road and they go, Barefoot servants, man. That's the shit. Wow. Are you ever gonna? And we'll never get back together again because it ran. We did two albums, mm-hmm. and it, I have to go find it now. Uh, it's it's like Hendrix meets ZZ. Oh with, a, with attitude, and John's one of the best rock singers I've wow. ever worked with, and, and they were both badass guitar players. Wow. Um, oh, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about some favorite moments in your life because you've played every venue, every. Conch, every place. What are some of the highlights of, of like the things that took your breath away? Um, I think one of the things that was great was when we started with with James. The, like we said earlier, the original band was me and Cooch and 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 Russ and Carol King. Mm-hmm. Well, during the course of that period, James really encouraged Carol to start doing some of her stuff in the show because nobody knew who she was. I mean, right. she had this enormous reputation Cattle as a songwriter, right, right. mm-hmm. but didn't know who she was so she started doing it and then ended up going in the studio and cutting tapestry tapestry. so we're looking at the band going okay so one of the side men in the group has the biggest record in the world that's not going to (laughs) work out so she ended up leaving and Mm -hmm. i did an album at that point with tom jans and mimi farina Mm -hmm. mimi farina's was joan baez's younger sister Uh and um so there was a keyboard player on the session named craig durgie Mm -hmm. And I called Peter Asher and I said, I think I found the guy to replace Carol. This guy's great. And so we're out on the road. Um, Craig joined and um, 
Peter Asher had a partner at that time named Nat Weiss. Nat was a, a major lawyer in New York, mm -hmm. but he was also partners with Brian Epstein. He was he mm -hmm. was really one of the people that helped get the Beatles to America. Mm -hmm. And he called us. He was out on the road with us, and he and James was not really into sound checks or anything. We would do line check, and then he'd split, mm -hmm. and we would all just jam. We were having so much. We loved being together. Mm -hmm. And one night, uh, Nat calls us to his room, and he says. I want to play you guys something. You got to check this out. And he puts his tape on, and we're listening. Going, fuck, that's great. Who said? He goes, that was your sound check today. And wow. he said, you guys should really think about becoming a band. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we sort of evolved out there on on the road with James. And James said, look, you guys are the rhythm section. Just call it the section. We went fine because we were toying with all these ideas. Well, Nat was also handling Mahavishnu Orchestra, mm -hmm. so he. Uh, we got linked up and the section ended up opening for Mahavishnu Orchestra on the road. And through that, I got to know Billy Cobham. Mm -hmm. And so Billy contacted me when he got his record deal in 73. Mm -hmm. And I went back to New York and in like two days, we cut um, um, Spectrum, which became kind of one of the quintessential mm -hmm. albums of that period. And, and this is all... Get, so when I went in the studio with him, that's still one of the most profound experiences mm -hmm. I had in the studio was doing that album with Billy mm -hmm. and Jan Hammer and Tommy Bolin was the guitarist on it. And I knew Tommy from Zephyr days because mm -hmm. when I was in Wolfgang, we were both managed by the same criminal because um, Bill Graham was in San Francisco, but he had another guy handling everything down in L.A. I was going to say, Bill Graham out, was a criminal? No, no, Bill, Bill was... But God, I loved, that was, that was I too, loved, that'd be too depressing. No, to no, me. Bill, I love Bill okay. dearly and he was uh -huh. a fabulous guy, but this... Bruce, I'm not going to say his last name. Okay. Um, he uh, he was just you know just one of these hucksters. Mm -hmm. But we went out and did gigs with Zephyr, so I got to know Tommy. So I walked into Electric Ladyland in New York to do Billy's. I'm like Tommy, this lady. So it, that was great. But um, there's been like so many different. How about how about like a concert that was just Brett? Like you walked out and one of the greatest things I ever saw from a stage mm -hmm. was we went. Uh, we played the first Rock and Rio festival with James Taylor. Mm -hmm. Then we went back and toured Brazil. Mm -hmm. When we played Sao Paulo, we were in this big soccer stadium. And it was huge, I mean, 100,000 people or something Jeez. at this thing. And we're up there and we start playing only a dream in Rio. Mm -hmm. And the audience starts flicking their lighters mm -hmm. on the beat. Well, because of the distance and the delay from the stage, all we saw was fire going kept wow. repeating and we were almost stopped playing we were so moved by this wow. um, one of my favorite things no matter what the venue is mm -hmm. is playing in the air tonight with Phil Collins mm -hmm. because the anticipation that that song builds up to that drum fill it just it just gave me goosebumps it gives me goosebumps I mean I can remember where I was when I heard it the first time it's deep you know and Risky there's business, people, right? yeah, that, people a... bringing drumsticks to the gig and air drums and all this so when that thing happens, you just people stand up and wow. we just like every night, man, it's like you're flesh crawling. It's like unbelievable. But for me, the, really the kind of, the, the blessing has been the entirety mm -hmm. of it all because there's so many gigs that have been really unique and, and, and special. Um, Anything you know. really small? That... Oh, I love small venues. I, I love, I really love them. I mean, when we, when we were out over the past few years with Judith Owen, we mm -hmm. were like, I remember playing, we played a pub, just she and I, up in the north of England. There's mm -hmm. like 50 people in this pub, and this guy came up to me, and he goes, ah, last time I saw you, you know, he's like, like you know, Wembley Stadium. I was just, what are you doing here? 
I said, playing music, are you having a good time? He said, I am. Wow. And those intimate rooms where you're, you can smell the people, you can taste the people, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, there's something about that as compared to playing for 80,000 people. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, your relationship with those massive crowds is about the same as a big club. Because all you really see is that first couple of rows. Right. And the rest of it becomes like a patchwork quilt. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know everybody's out there. But it's, you know, to me, it's that relationship mm -hmm. of, of you and, and people and the immediacy. There used to be a club here in L.A. called Dante's. Mm -hmm. um, it was a jazz club on Lancashire. And the section played there a lot. And God, it was so much fun. Everybody in town would show up and the energy in the room was pumping. That became like our staple mm -hmm. was to play, to play Dante's. Um, That's why I want you to play the living room. And this sounds really weird, but because I it's love the house concerts. Because, but it's, it's not even a house concert. It's different than a house concert. But yeah. it's because it's at 11 o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. And Mickey Dolans was like, I can't sing at 11 o'clock. Yeah. But he did. And, yeah. and everybody does. But anyway, it's because it's daytime yeah. and everybody eats first together. Mm. And when you break bread with people, it changes the energy, the, yeah. the energy shifts. That's Once cool. you're you know, eating with people. And so then... It's very interactive because you can see everybody's yeah. eyeballs. It's daytime. Yeah. It's a it's a how you know, and so it's very interactive, and it's a complete. Everybody who's ever played the living room, it it, it becomes like a favorite. Well, we have to do it, that. Yeah, it's very intimate. It's it's yeah. um and fun. The energy yeah. is crazy. I mean, Ali came here with Larry Dunn from Earth, Wind, and Fire, and had seven pieces playing in there, and everybody, Evan Handler's standing on a chair shooting it. it. You know, crazy stuff happens, but it's that. It'd be fun to come here and do it with Judith. I would love that. Yeah, I would I'll, love that. I'll, I'll work I on it. I knew Bambi. We were working on it back yeah. in the day. When yeah, she no, was with I'll, Bambi. I'll, I'll deal with Judith. I would and love we'll that. And you know, the thing is, because it's the human connection. Yeah. Because that, it, that, isn't that what music is? Yeah, yeah. Right? That's what breaks my heart when you look at schools, and that's the first thing they're willing to cut from their budgets and stuff is let's, let's get rid of the arts, you know, no more theater, no more music. And I, go, my God. kids went to a little tiny school in New York called Manhattan School for Children, and it was all parent founded and all I did was raise money so that they could have drama and art yeah. and music and and then we came out here and it doesn't exist in the in the daytime curriculum yeah it's really I and mean when I went to, when I was going to Birmingham Sally Field was in the it was in the class Cindy Williams wow was there Bobby Sherman oh all my. these people that, that came out of that because a lot of the kids we were we were the valley side but there was a lot of kids that also came from the Encino Mm -hmm. side so there was you know all these uh, I, I used to go up with this one group and we would rehearse and it was Dennis Weaver's family <laughs> you know we'd be up there and he'd be you know come in there that was in the height of gun smoke you know and wow. was Chester you know he's not limping and That's crazy. so it's just it's just nuts but it's it's such a valuable part of the of the society to have the arts. Do you and do you, things for music in the schools? Do you? Do um, you? I, I support it as much as I can. Uh -huh. And I've, the, the funniest thing for me was when we played at Bogies up in Westlake mm -hmm. Village with the immediate family. And this guy came up to me and he said, I'm a teacher at Agora High School. Would you consider coming and talking to the, one of my classes? I said, sure, I'd be happy to. This is not a music class, a general ed class. Mm -hmm. So I go up there and there's all these kids in there and I'm kind of thinking, what the hell you know, have I got? And so I said, well, let's, you know, any questions before we really get started? And this one kid, like 15 years old, kind of mm, he raises his hand. And I say, yeah. He goes, you played on Stratus? Billy comes. I'm going, no. I mean, it suddenly made me know something's going to go on here. I mean, the last thing I expected him to say was Stratus. Of all the things you've of done. Of all the things that, I've yeah. done. But um, 
I think, you know, if anybody asks me, I always say yes, if, if the schedule permits mm -hmm. uh, to do it. And it's really fun talking to young people. And that's why I love doing panels and mm -hmm. things like that. My favorite part of it uh, is when you get to the Q&A. Which, I really love questions. Okay, so so speaking of getting to the Q&A, Pete, do we have any questions for Lee? Oh, my thumb is killing me from all the questions. Oh, really? Yeah, Lots of questions. Lot of so questions. here we go. We have the good, the I have to go now. the best. All right, let's see. Okay, uh, L. Scott Knight, question for Lee. What's your best trick or advice for getting in a pocket with a drummer? Listen. Mm. You know, more than anything, it's really about listening because I've had mm. kind of the experience where like one day I could be working, I, this it was in the past, but I would be working with Levon Helm. Mm -hmm. And then the next day I'd be working, you know, with, with Simon Phillips. Mm -hmm. And you really have to be chameleon-like mm -hmm. and, and really kind of dig where the pocket is with each one. You have to be, once again, etched in mud. You have to be malleable because sometimes a guy will be sitting way back on the beat. Another time a guy's leaning really forward on it. And you just listen. And it really, if you really, if you really kind of hone that skill, it doesn't take long to fall into the pocket. Um, but it, I think everything about doing any kind of music is predicated on listening to each other. It's not about you. It's about I the entirety. I love so much. So aside from Russ, can you name other drummers that that's going home for you? Oh, God, there's so many. Well, for me, I mean, some of the greatest losses of this business have been like Jeff Beccaro, mm -hmm. um, Carlos Vega, Larry London. Losing those guys was devastating. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I get to work with guys like Jim Keltner. Mm -hmm. um, God, I just saw him recently play with Mike Lang. Oh, oh yeah. and Mike Lang loves you to death. Oh, Mike is, Mike is, is one of the most Jim gifted pianists. Jim he blew me yeah. out. Yeah, Jim. Jim is is us. He's so creative. Well, we just did this panel at at at, uh, at Nam. It was mm -hmm. me and Lukather and Keltner were mm -hmm. the panel. Um, but I'm like, sorry, I missed that. Oh yeah, but like Eddie Bayers in Nashville and, and Paul Lyme. I mean, the amount of Phil Collins is still one of the best drummers I've ever worked with. Does he still play drums? No, he no, can't physically. Can't. But on the tours, his sixteen-year-old son, when we started the tour, was playing drums. Who's eighteen now? Wow. And Nicholas is a badass drummer. Wow. I mean, he got the gene. He, mm -hmm. he dove into the deep end of the gene pool. Mm -hmm. And he's great. Well, that's where but, Phil started. I mean, it yeah. wasn't... He, he, oh, no. Yeah. If, if you were walking down the street mm -hmm. and bumped into Phil not knowing who he was, mm -hmm. and, and you said, well, what do you, what do you do? He would say, I'm a drummer. Really? Yeah. More than anything else. He, his passion and love was wow. drums. And that's the heartbreak. It's like Ronstadt okay. not being able to sing. You know, it's that kind of thing. So... It is what it is. But, I mean, for me, the greatest blessing of this mm -hmm. business has been the, the, the relationships with other musicians. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten to play with, like, the most insanely great drummers for, forever. Neil Wilkinson over in England, Carl Brazil. I mean, there's just tons of these guys. But each one of them has nuances. Mm -hmm. So you have to just kind of slide in there and not... And, and you throw out suggestions, you know, like if something's going on, you say, well, let's just sit back on that just a little bit here, maybe... You have dialogues. I mean, this is you know, so. It's it like sounds like it you is. lean in more than you exert your own will. It sounds like you're leaning in. Well, I'm a team player mm -hmm. more than anything, and and primary importance is the song mm -hmm. more than anything. Mm -hmm. Everything stems from the song, mm -hmm. um, and and it's you don't impose yourself on the song. You somehow figure out. What that song wants from you. You're serving it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and once 
once you dial that in, then the players all find their 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 places in it. And I get thrilled. I mean, when I did Barefoot Servants and I walked in, I had never heard of or met Ray Brinker. He we played eight bars together and I wanted to have his child. <laughs> you know, he's he's such a great drummer. You know, Abe Jr. I've known Abe oh. since he was a little kid. And every time we work together, I just sit there and I go, man, I love this cat. Mm. You know, it's so, it's it's a fabulous community mm. of people. If, if that answers anything. I yes, know. that answers. I'm sorry, I hijacked I, no. the question. No, 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 it's more. Tom Jacob asks, uh, did you work with Mr. Waddle, music department at Birmingham? No, I think that must have been, I graduated in 65. So chances are um, that might have been after, because it was um, Ted Lynn, and Lillian Cushane and Milton Anderson. Now, Milton Anderson, who was mm -hmm. our choir director, started the group Young Americans. And I was, in the, I was in the rhythm section of the original Young Americans. We did like the Gene Kelly TV oh show. Oh my and stuff. God. So, so I go back. I remember the day they invented dirt. <laughs> I always say I'm older than dirt, but inventing dirt yeah, is even yeah, better. That was a tough one. It was, it was a, <laughs> No, but I don't remember that name. I, so it might have been <laughs> the after. day they invented uh, dirt. See, uh, so Deslin Ross, who watches every week, he's 18. He seems to know everything about everybody in rock. Wait, I have to interrupt you for okay. one second because yeah. this is too exciting. Rick Smokey, the guy I was telling you about who does my printing. Oh, yeah. He just said, tell Lee I can do the book. He's a printer. He can do the book. He can do your book. Tell him that I want to have his child. Rick. Rick <laughs> I want to have your baby. Rick Smokey of Quick Impressions of Chicago. I'm doing a shout out right now. He is the printer extraordinaire. He will do all your stuff. He's going to do Lee's book. Rick Smokey. He did my book. Well, no, he didn't do this okay, book. Then he did all of this stuff, though. But he's, he's going to do your he book. He made this popcorn. He's going to do your book. I'm so glad that I was Rick, scrolling. we will talk. Okay. We will talk. You should have all a right. bowl of popcorn with a middle finger coming up. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Okay, go ahead. I'm okay, sorry, so Pete. Deslin, who's 18 in yeah. Ohio. Hi, he, Deslin. Love Deslin. He definitely would like to get some of your gear. Uh, mm. Scott Knight, are you selling your groove tubes, Rick? Um, sorry to say, I think that was sold a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, but keep an eye on my Facebook page um, because they're, they're just starting to catalog all this stuff now. Oh, wow. And, um, and then, I mean, it's not going to be... I'm not going to be one of those guys that's out there trying to, you know, well, I'm going to retire on this. I just want to move all this stuff along. And everything I'm selling, I'm signing the gear hmm. and stuff just so that and it, so everything will have providence mm -hmm. to it. But tell them just to keep an eye on my, my Facebook page and when we're okay, ready. Okay, so you have a few pages. So where do you do, on which page? Everything I do on Facebook, mm -hmm. there's one page there that has a picture of me uh, in my hot rod. Is it is it a professional page or your personal page? I don't. It's only a personal page. I don't Thank have you. a pro page. You do. I mean, there's stuff, but I don't yeah, have anything to do with those okay. people. People have put those. I together. believe in in personal pages yeah. because then you can talk to people. Oh yeah, and the one thing always know that if anybody's talking to me, they're talking to me. I Nobody love, administers my page. It's, I love it's that. Only me. I on love it. that. I, and if I, people send you a message, you're going to read it? Oh, absolutely. I read everything. And I respond to as many as I possibly can That's on great. there until That's they tell great. me to, to go die. Mike Finnegan was on here. Hi, Lee, you sound great. Met you at... No, that can't oh, be Mike. Oh, that's got to be a different Mike. Yeah, that's Mike a Mike Finnegan. Met you at the reading show in an immediate okay. family. You're gracious with your time. Oh, fuck 
Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pete, I hijacked it again. Go ahead. I'm Go sorry. Desla Ross asks, are you a fan of Carol Kay's bass playing? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Carol Kay's place in, in music history is so profound mm-hmm. and so deep. Um, yeah, there was only one. And the fact that she was able to do the career she did at a time when she was like the only girl the in only. the room. Uh, other than the orchestral people. Mm-hmm. But when you look at that old, good old boys club, mm-hmm. and there's Carol in the middle of it just mm-hmm. with bigger balls than any of them. You know, it was... She, yeah, I totally love her. Yeah. Totally love her. Uh, Rick Smokey would like to know uh, any comments on the making of Running on Empty Tour, an album? Um, it's probably one of the most honest live albums ever done. I think, you know, it's so many times groups do a live album and the only thing left at the end of it is the audience because they go back in the studio yeah. and they're fixing all the vocals. Running on Empty was magic. Mm-hmm. Um, first off, Greg Ladani, mm-hmm. rest his soul, um, was one of the finest engineers. I mean, his tutelage under Val Garay was really deep and Val was one of the finest engineers. Um, but what you hear on that album is what happened wow. out there. It was, it was a deep tour. We had so much fun on that. So that's one thing you could do. So Rick, he's the one who's going to make your book. Yeah. He Jackson Brown is his. So, I got lots of Jackson fingers. So, so yeah, so you, so you hook him up, you know, with something Jackson, and then that'll be a deal. Yeah. Made oh no, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk okay. about it. But yeah, um, th- that. Is really, and still I listen to it and it sounds so fresh. Mm. Um, it's still really good. I remember being, I, I might have been Jackson's like 60th birthday or something like that. And uh, the a band got together and we, we were playing in, in Don Miller's backyard, uh, his manager. And uh, we decided to play Running on Empty. And we're playing it. And he just turned and said, God, I forgot how good this is. And we looked at him and we said, we're not dead. <laughs> you know, we're still here. But it was fun. We, two years ago at the Tech Awards, mm-hmm. they, they gave him the Les Paul Award. Mm-hmm. And they gave the section the Lifetime Achievement Award. Aww. So we played Running on Empty at the Tech Awards, which is really cool. Is it, is it out there? Is it on YouTube? It, it or might. It, it's, it's on. Everything's on YouTube. Everything. Is I mean, on the YouTube. beauty for me is I'm, a, I'm an absolute insomniac. Mm-hmm. So I'm up sometimes three, four in the morning, just going through YouTube, finding stuff, mm-hmm. going. I didn't see anybody there with a camera. How the hell is this on here? I mean, who took this? It's just crazy how much stuff is is been archived. Especially that early stuff. Yeah. Yeah. When amazing. you find that stuff, that yeah. must be incredible. Because now everybody's got a phone. Yeah, everybody's so got everything. that. But that stuff was back. Right. That was analog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, any other question? Yeah, Deslin asks again, uh, what are some of the tracks you've played on that you are the most proud of? You know, that's where it, it gets really difficult because some of the stuff that I enjoyed the most mm-hmm. never saw the light of day or huh. it's buried in projects and things like that. But certainly... Um, you know, songs like Smiling Face with James Taylor um, and, and, and Stratus with Billy Cobham. But I've enjoyed so many different, you know, genres. Like I, I used to do like all Stephen Curtis Chapman's records. Who was like the, he was the, like one of the main artists in the contemporary Christian community and wrote all this really amazing music. Um, then all the different country people... Um, um, one of my favorite things, and it's actually getting life again, which mm-hmm. is really shocking, is uh, Gene Clark's No Other. Um, Gene Clark was the original singer in The Birds, and then he went off on his own. And No Other 
is probably one of the greatest underground records ever really? made, and it's just being rediscovered finally wow. after after decades of uh-huh. being. If you haven't heard it, check it out. It's deep. And on John the, York was here. Yeah, and on the no other track, I've got six basses on it. Almost wow. the whole track is all kinds of different basses, mm. drums, and keyboards, mm. and, and his vocal on it. It's it was a trip and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, for me, each person has a different thing. So each thing is different. Like if I'm working, you know, with. Willie Nelson, or if I'm working with Dolly Parton, or I'm working with Joe Cocker, or you know, you name. I mean, that's been really the litany of artists because I've done probably around 2,600 albums. It's just unbelievable. So when I look at those, but each one has its own little thing. I mean, when I did a thousand miles with Vanessa Carlton, Mm -hmm. I mean, that was like so good. I walk in the studio and there's this little girl sitting in there playing Chopin. You know, just a beast. She's such a great band. So when we got to do that record, it was like really pretty special. And, I came uh, upon a Willie Nelson video last night by mistake. I forgot how much I adore him. Oh God! What a, Willie he's is like a the treasure. Most soulful. Well, it, it, check. There's an album we did called The Great Divide, mm-hmm. and um, it's amazing. It's mm-hmm. an amazing record because Matt Serletic did it, um, who did Matchbox Twenty and mm-hmm. Rob Thomas's records. Mm-hmm. So it's it's Willie with with technology also. So wow. there's some looping in it, and uh-huh. then there's you know all kinds of people like Cheryl Crow. Saying, I sh- that's the song I saw last oh. night. Him and Cheryl Crow. Well, I posted a thing from Crossroads. That, that's why I that saw show. it. It was from you. Yeah, that I saw it. Yeah, and that was, that was amazing. A, that was a fun show to do. I mean, that entire show is amazing. They did crazy. That yeah, was, that yeah, was that's the one I posted I on it. Yeah, but the entire show is great. I love Cheryl. Cheryl, she opened for some of our shows with Phil Collins mm-hmm. just this past tour. Oh, nice. And it was great. It was, I mean, she, she and her band were just, she's just the best. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was fun. But it's very hard to nail things down to specific tracks. You've done so many. Yeah. And, and, and each of them, so I mean, I, I had a great time. I worked with Corey Wells from mm-hmm. Three Dog Night mm-hmm. and, and people like, you know, all these different kinds of people. Um, and each one brings their own thing. And, and, and really, for me also, still at the end of the day, I'm just grateful to be a working musician more than anything. It's got nothing to do with, you know, when people ask me, you know, what records have you played on? I really have to dig because the way I think is, what am I doing today and what am right. I doing tomorrow? Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not a real archivist. Mm-hmm. I let, you know, other people, I just got sent a thing from through the union. It's one of our, our annual little um, bonus check things that they give you and it lists like all the different like TV and movie things and I just in in I just put it all in my computer just so I'd have it if anybody ever asked for it I, I've got at least do all you those still do in. a lot of that stuff no because that's those days are over I mean I, occasionally there's film being done but a lot of the TV stuff is pretty much one or two guys just doing it all on, on computers mm-hmm. so there isn't that but we were working all the time back in the heyday of it i mean simon and simon and the golden girls and all these shows i mean and then it's commercials Walden. he just got yeah. another show he's going to be doing the new reboot of 30 something oh great and it's he's wanted to work with you for a long time so snuffy walden i'm making a match snuffy here. snuffy please <laughs> please i'm a bass player i'm desperate <laughs> desperate um, okay, we got more? Yeah, there's, there's way, way more. But okay. uh, Rick Smolke said that he did a book for Jackson Brown. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. For his 60th. 
Uh, let's see. Carolyn Covini would like to know any gigs in Canada coming up. God, I hope so. I, I love going to Canada. Um, nothing in the book right now. Um, I'm hoping that once things get rolling with the immediate family, mm -hmm. um, that we'll be really hitting the road hard. We've given them a window from uh, October 12th to the end of the year mm -hmm. to start booking a, a tour during that period because that's... The, the album will have been released at that point, and that'll be pretty close to the documentary I was going to say, will the documentary be done by then? Um, they're thinking it might be 2021 mm -hmm. by the time that's finished, mm -hmm. but you never know. Right. But I, I hope we come to Canada. I would love it. We just we did the Vancouver Island Festival mm. um, a few months ago, um, but I would love to come east. I'd love to come to Toronto and, and Quebec and, and Montreal and all that. It's really pretty fabulous and if things keep up the way they are here maybe just look for a house <laughs> oh please don't please no, no, no. There, there's hope Come no on, no i always have hope mm -hmm. that's why i'm not going down without a fight mm -hmm. questions yeah uh, we can go on all night with these uh do you still make art um not really i mean you know by the time by the time i'm, I'm like done with work i have so much stuff to do around the house mm -hmm that um that it just kind of fell on the back burner and i kind of figured that at some point if work really does diminish that i that i might start working again do any do you do anything mortal like do you watch netflix do you binge shows do you ever do that mm, stuff um no you don't I well well i sort of do mm. like i was watching a bunch of botched today mm -hmm. you know about bad plastic surgery repairs and i've stuff. never seen that oh it's great it's oh. these two guys and two plastic surgeons in beverly hills mm -hmm. who basically fix all this stuff that was done bad to people oh my god and it's amazing to watch really? you know how they can how they can help people's so, life you know I, I always enjoy law and order mm -hmm. you know um my wife just watched binged watch um marvelous mrs meisel or Maisel, yeah. mm -hmm. and I watched a bunch of that, mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, yeah, there's a bunch of those shows, but I tend to find myself, um, you know, just thinking about other things when I'm watching, and mm -hmm. I'll end up playing Wordscape. And stuff. You get bored? Um, yeah, I'm I have I'm part of short attention span theater. Mm -hmm. I just I'm always off looking for new things to do. Mm -hmm. That's all right. all right. But I'd like I'd love to get back into the art. It's just it's right now it's still on the back burner. Mm -hmm. Are you a fan of uh, Mark King? Oh, God, Mark, hardly anybody better when it comes to slap. Level 42 is like, I love that band. And yeah. Mark is a sweetheart of a guy. I've met him before, and he's a great guy. But, man, he's a badass player. Yeah. I mean, the thing I love about the, the bass community is, to me, it's like everybody that picks up the instrument does something unique unto themselves. Mm -hmm. From the simplest rudimentary stuff to you know the jockos and and there's so many uh, you watch Aronson youtube is one of my oldest friends yeah. i love the way kenny plays the bass too oh god there's there's so many and 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 to me i i i really try to think of it as um like i'm i'm fanboy mm. at the end of the day there's so many of these players mm -hmm. that i just said you know like victor wooten's a really good friend and steve bailey and i was just talking about maybe going in and being a part of their camp this year mm -hmm. um but I, I don't feel competitive with them. I've kind of got my niche. Mm -hmm. And I remember like when Jocko hit the scene and mm -hmm. all the bass players in town were running home and trying to get that Jocko thing. And I'm going, 
can't you spend five minutes and just dig a genius? Nice. And just sit back and watch something amazing. And I would, I could never play like Jock. Mm -hmm. I could bullshit my way <laughs> and allude to it. Mm -hmm. But that was, this guy was unique. Mm -hmm. And there's so many guys like that, the Brian Brombergs. And there's, you know, there's so many bass players. And like I said at the beginning of the thing, the, the, uh, the bassist from, uh, from the London Symphony. I watched him, but there's this other guy. I've got his name in my computer. He's a Spanish flamenco upright bass player who's wow. so staggering. I, w I watch his videos and I just sit there and I go, it's, a, um, you know, I never knew that instrument had it in it. Wow. You know, what this guy does. Wow. His last name is Fon, F-O-N-S, I think. But I can't remember his first name offhand, but one of the joys of this getting to this age is by the time we're through here and I leave the house, I won't remember any of this. So. <laughs> but the good thing is it'll be archived and you'll be it's able archived. to watch it. It's archived, yeah. And you'll... if we ever do it again, it's all fresh because I don't think we've ever done it. That's right. Me too. That's the good part. Um, got anything else, Pete? Yeah, tons. Uh, let's see. Pick out, pick out some jewels because before we go, I want to have you do one more song for us, if oh, okay. you will. You got I've, got a fun, I've got a real fun song that Excellent. I did with Lyle Lovett. So how about, uh, let's see, Maximilian would like to know, uh, he said, tell us about Thoroughbred, Carol King record. Um, it was really nice because it was the album that we did where we actually toured the album mm -hmm. with the band that did the album. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, it was like right after Tapestry. And, mm -hmm. and uh, it had a, a few kind of weird moments that happened during the tour uh, because of some personnel issues that mm -hmm. were, were not within the band, but... Mm -hmm. But for the most part, the music was great, and I've always just adored Carol. Mm. I mean, she's just really, you know, she's like the, the ultimate, you know, Jewish mother. Mm -hmm. You know, she just wants to make sure everybody's had enough to eat and everybody's comfy and all Louise that. Is, I just saw oh, her yeah, Louise, Louise and... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I saw her there, too. Yeah. yeah. And uh, she's, a, she's just a, a unique woman, and her... her writing sense and her musicality is deep. The one thing I always love is people are always going, Carol, I mean, I mean, she wrote, I am woman. I mean, um, natural woman. I played on I am woman. So I was thinking, <laughs> I played on it's raining men too. So yeah, I've got lots of skeletons. No, but when, she, when, when they say, I mean, natural woman, I go, well, you know, Jerry Goffin wrote the words. Is that so? Yeah. 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 So wow. a guy wrote the words to that wow. song. I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the Goffin King legacy is yeah. deep, deep. Oh, yeah. I mean, I knew them. Mm -hmm. I knew Jerry really well, too. And mm -hmm. man, what a monstrous writer and talent that guy was. So, but it was a fun tour. We really had, it was really early on. I mean, it's still early 70s. So, actually, we were, met Carol with her Jewish mother. They oh, her mom was great. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah her it, mom. I, it, have you seen Beautiful? I, I, um... I saw it in London. Mm -hmm. The thing that I enjoyed about it was this friend of mine talking back to great drummers, Neil Wilkinson, who I worked with with Veronique Sanson, who's mm -hmm. like the top female artist in France. I've known Vero since 73. Wow. And she was married to Stephen Stills back in the 70s. I mean, these things get really convoluted. <laughs> but um, Neil was doing the orchestra for Beautiful. So mm -hmm. he said, come to the show. And I was over there with Judith. So we went to the show and afterwards I went backstage to see him. And uh, he introduced me to the cast and I said, you want to hear some stories? I said, because kind of what's going on in that, it's not quite how some of these Really? Things. And it was fun just to sit and, and oh, kind of cool. open their eyes a bit. I mean, nothing was, you know, 
horrible or you know alarming mm -hmm. but it's just funny when things get adapted for mm -hmm. another format you kind of go oh that's not exactly that's a little creative yeah I got a little speaking of stills so David Crosby so we have a mutual friend Marcus Eaton absolutely and Marcus was telling me that you played on his I played on Marcus's and I on his father's Steve Eaton Steve is a fabulous artist and and I've known Marcus and AJ since mm -hmm. they were babies gosh so it's just when you, whenever you want to feel old, like when I'm with my friends and contemporaries, we're like, hey, we're all looking pretty good. And then suddenly you see somebody you knew. As well, Marcus a, can make anybody cry. He's yeah. just so good looking. He yeah, make yeah. Anybody and, cry. and he's just, uh, he got dad's talent in there. And the sweetest person. Yeah, no, yeah. Marcus is great. All these people, you know, I mean, it's really been great. All right, so wait, let's talk about David for a minute because I saw the documentary that AJ made. Yeah. And it, David's kind of closed a lot of doors, Crosby. I'm talking yeah. about. So how how what's your relationship with him like? I, we have a great relationship, mm -hmm. but for me, my whole relationship with David has always been on just a musical friendship. Mm -hmm. I, we've never dealt with anything that could have become adversarial. Mm -hmm. And so you know, I hear about all the stories of different things, you know, different relationships that he's had that have gone south and all that. Um, None of that's happened to me. Nice. So I, 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 in the same way, like, you know, Streisand. I mean, so many people in the business to say, well, Barbara, she's such a bitch and all this. I go, I've done a lot of work. I did Evergreen with her and all these, and, and Mir has two faces, all these different projects with mm -hmm. her. And the thing is... Paul Williams played the living room. Oh, it was probably room for a lot more people. He did... <laughs> <laughs> I, oh love, I love I love Paul. He sang Rainy Days and Mondays and oh, told great. us how he wrote it for his mother. He told us the story. Paul it was is amazing. The, now, did you ever see the movie The Loved One with Jonathan Winters? Mm -hmm. You know that Paul was Gunther the boy genius in that. Yes, I he do. He was know 25 that. years old when he was playing a 12 year old. <laughs> And he could still play. Oh, I know. I'm going to see him. We do, we do this gig every year at the Library of Congress oh, for sweet. ASCAP, and he's uh -huh. the president of ASCAP. Yes. So we go back in May, and we do that, and it's, I'm looking forward. That's my chance to see Paul. So wait, tell us about Barbara. Okay. I interrupted so, but, you. But with Barbara, when she shows up at the studio, mm -hmm. she is 150% prepared. Um, she puts down, man. She is like, every vocal is great. And if somebody comes in and they're slacking, mm -hmm. she busts them mm -hmm. for it. And then they walk away going, what a bitch. What a bitch. I go, no, if you just did your job as good as she does hers, mm -hmm. she wouldn't say anything. Uh -huh. You know, but there, it's, a, it's a weird business on that level. I mean, mm -hmm. people get these reputations and like Cross has got this whole other side that people talk, oh man, this cat, man, blah, blah, blah. I go, well, I've been really lucky. I've, I've really just enjoyed the positive side of all those guys with mm -hmm. Graham and Steven and everybody. Mm -hmm. um, I have no issues with, with any of these people. And I, I consider them all good, close friends. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we uh, you know, I, when I hear this stuff, I just go, it's sad. You know, I just don't want to hear it. It's like Michael Jackson. You don't want his final legacy to be, you know, just people talking about that the guy was possibly a pedophile. Well, I don't, sadly, I don't that's all that's kind of that's left That's all that's now. left. And, and you the music think, is gone almost. Yeah, and you sit there. I remember seeing him in concert and going... Mm -hmm. This is one of the best things I've ever experienced in my life. I remember working on one of the Jackson Five records and stuff. Oh and my you just god! Kinda, and you just kind of go, Jesus, it's, it's just sad. And if it's if the, there's truth in all of it, that's sad too because that's criminal activity and and really it's. 
heartbreaking, but I always looked at him as kind of neuter. I didn't really see him as, as a sexual entity because of the way he was raised. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you see the documentary? It's, it's, it's kind of hard. It's really to, hard not to think that. And you just kind of go, man, it's just, it's heartbreaking with, mm-hmm. with so many people like that where you just go, you just, you know, it's like I can still enjoy The Quiet Man with John Wayne, even though I know John Wayne is a complete fucking jerk off. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's hard. It's like sitting all these Clint Eastwood movies come mm-hmm. out. He's such a great director and he's yes, done such he's... good work. And I keep thinking there he's sitting there talking to an empty chair at the Republican convention. And you just go, God, why, did, why does this have to happen? Mm-hmm. You know, I, don't, I hate reading books about like the making of I Love Lucy. And you find out that William Frawley and Vivian Vance didn't mm-hmm. like each other. And he was always drinking. And, no, they're the, you know, they're the Mertzes. Just leave it all. I know. Marion yeah. Ross was here and she was telling us that Tom Bosley was like mean to her all those oh, years. God, he's like, like, oh, no. I don't, I don't know that. Yeah, I don't want to know that <laughs> stuff. I don't want to live in a bubble, but I kind of yeah. don't want, you know, I don't want to know all, too yeah. much information. I just want to kind of enjoy Father Knows Best. They say Robert Young was an alcoholic and yeah. drank all the time. Mm-hmm. And you just go, God, you know. So... Any qu- another question? Let's say. Yeah, there's a lot that yeah. through the feed. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, okay, how does the music right now inspire or affect how you lay down your bass lines? Mm. Um, That's Randy Thomas. Um, it's kind of it's it's hard to say because it really once again one of the constants that's been since I started doing this has been uh, the song. Mm-hmm. It's everything. Now, the only issue I have with a, with a lot of contemporary stuff that I've had to deal with mm-hmm. is so much of it is done in Logic or Pro Tools, mm-hmm. and I get calls to go to somebody's house and just put bass down mm-hmm. on it. The thing that made the old records that we worked on so engaging was the fact that it was a room full of creative people mm-hmm. feeding each other. And there was an energy and a synergy that took place in the room. Mm-hmm. You'd be maybe working on a song and you go, God, bridge kind of, so let's work on a better bridge or let's do an intro. When I show up now, uh, even though we're doing more and more dates mm-hmm. with full, full bands, mm-hmm. um, but for the most part, for a number of years now, if I go to somebody's house to put on bass, I can only affect the bass part. Mm-hmm. Generally, it's to a click, mm-hmm. so I, it can't breathe and it can't be organic and moving. Um, and I think it needs most songs need to have that, unless the song is something that, with a click, is exactly in the pocket where it needs to be. I, I'm not anti-click by any means, but um, but I'm just sort of. It's a little disappointing that at the end of the day, all I really can do is create a bass part I, I, you know, and I loved being in the studio and a guitar player would play a lick and I'd go well, play that again Let me, and we'd work up a harmony part or something and, and work off of each other and that only happens when there's a group of musicians in the room mm-hmm. so I mean that's been kind of the hard part of of the evolution, of the evolution and, and devolution mm-hmm. of some of this but I still end up working with young artists that are so good and so talented there's a girl named Allison Porter mm-hmm. um, who I did her, her, she just finished a new album which she wanted me to work on but we were out with Phil and I did her previous album and there was a movie years ago called Curly Sue. Yeah. About the, well, she's, mm-hmm. She was Curly Sue. Oh. And she won like. She won a, a, she, a, a, a one of those Yeah, it was like America's Got Talent yeah, or one yeah. of those or shows. Or The that, Voice or something. Well, yeah, she, she won The Voice okay. and then she also 
one like one of these shows when she was like eight, you know, when she was a little kid. Wow. Man, she sings and writes her ass off. I just wow. saw her at the NAMM show. She is a, she's a real treasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, there's always like talent out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so for me, I'm, but I'm more appreciative when I get to go in the studio with with a bunch of people that mm-hmm. are creative and mm-hmm. really just hunker down and do it rather than just piecemealing things together. I like it. Maybe come up with one more great question and then what we can do, Lee, is later, since you're a nightbird and I'm a nightbird, we can go on the thread and maybe you can answer some questions. Oh, I'd be happy to. Answer some questions to the people that ask questions. I, I that would be happy to do that. Up here. Um, yeah, I love the questions. Mm-hmm. Are you coming to Berkeley to do a class in bass, Betsy Broadman asks. I just grabbed that one. Um, I was just in Berkeley a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Uh, we may, the, Berkeley has asked the immediate family to come nice. and do like a three-day residence there nice. where each of us will do classes but then also do performance things. And one thing they were kind of kicking the idea around is maybe having one or two of the of the like have a competition of writers and then we would go in and record their song and oh, show wow. them the process so we'll see but i've been talking to steve bailey who's the head of the mm-hmm. bass department um about us coming back we're, we're gonna have to sort that out too maybe later in the year um cool anything else Peter? yep one more Gigi. uh let's see she would like to ask about the new documentary called immediate family we did we... that oh, we did well what's the question yeah. uh we need to speak our piece and keep you out of Facebook jail. Uh, oh. I live in the Himalayas. <laughs> <laughs> That's just outside of Fresno, I think. Yeah. I've renamed. Chad Watson's on here. Hi, Chad. Wait, he just asked a question and I lost it. Where's Chad's question? Do you have Chad's question? I don't. Wait. They go so fast. Chad's such a great player. Wait, let me see if I can find Chad's question. Ooh. I can't find it. You go, you go, Pete. I so, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut off the last question. I, I no, saw that, like four yeah, questions that, about the documentary. That was as many and, as I could capture because the rest just go through the feed. Here, so. um, how did you, your, how did your wild solo track with the section? <laughs> um, Excellent question. Okay, Chad. Uh, it, it was our second album, Forward Motion, um, that the section did. And they decided they wanted to have um, me do a bass solo on it. There's nothing I hate more than doing a bass solo. I'm just not one of those guys. And mm-hmm. that was the fun part at NAMM was I was one of the judges for a bass solo competition. And I was just going, oh my God. But um, I used to do this thing live and I plugged in like all kinds of devices and just went nuts. And it was just like a, by, just flew by the seat of my pants and ended up, um, I have a painting that I did back, uh, I've got it at the house and uh, Piltdown was a was a, a character, a, a wild boar mm-hmm. from like I think from like one of the kind of acid magazines from back in the '60s, and I just called the thing "Get Down Piltdown" It's my solo <laughs> on it. So it was not a lot of forethought and uh, stuff. I just kind of just flew by the seat of my pants and went nuts. And then I would do it live, and it would always. The funny part was I would start off with an echoplex and. And just start the thing really quietly with a volume pedal. And it would just, you could see people leaning in for it. And then I would flip on all these things and I would take all the strings and just pull them out and snap them. <laughs> Audience would like leap out of their seats. And it was like, you know, it was like a, the biggest assault on, on their presence as possible. But um, I'm, glad to, I'm glad you even mentioned it. I hadn't thought about that one in a long time. 
So, so Lee, how about if you get yourself set up to do a to do a song to take us out? And Pete, why don't you come over here and say hello and tell us what you're up to? This is Pete George, everybody. He's been working hard back there. This is, there's a lot going on in this show. Huh? Seriously, there's a lot going on. This was awesome again. So, Pete, what what? So last weekend, Vegas. Vegas was How fun. How was that? Really? A little too much partying, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, like uh -oh, uh -oh. go to bed at 3 a.m. and have to get up at 6 a.m. for the flight. Ugh. And so that was exhausting. But the shows were a lot of fun. Stand-up comedy coaching there was a lot of fun. It was Evan was great. We had a great time. And uh, what do you got? Go I mean, you got a show this weekend. The Saturday Santa Clarita mm -hmm. sold out already. Nice. Great. And then uh, back to Funny Farm in Youngstown, Ohio in March. Okay. And some other shows in between. Awesome. That's a nice area back there. Yeah. Youngstown and that whole area. Yeah, it's a lot of... I love when we hit those kind of towns like Lincoln, Nebraska and Ames, Iowa and stuff. It's they really... just appreciate it. So yeah, you're much, off the right? beaten path from mm -hmm. all the big... Yeah, tours and you get there, man. People are just happy campers. Appreciate it. Right. Yeah, right, right, right. it's really great. I love it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Pete. This is really, really special. Thank you. Thank Excellent. you, Pete. Okay. So I have a little. I have a tune that I love playing with Lyle Lovett. We were on the road called "That's Right." I'm not from Texas, and uh, I'll play that for you. I love I'll play it. Along. Here we go. Let me see if. I'm sorry that I was like, we already talked about the immediate family because I was like, I saw like 17 <laughs> questions for the immediate family. I was like, no, he already answered it's right. I just But I didn't mean to take it out on you. I was like telling no. you, no, he already talked about it. I just felt like I was married again. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> One second. Oh, sorry. Again. Yeah. And you can say to me, I divorced thee, I divorced thee, I divorced thee. If you do it three times, it counts. <laughs> right. That's what I've been told. Oh, I see what happened here. Hold on. The speaker times Something itself Somebody Ted Knight. I'm thinking it's not the Ted Knight, though. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Ted Knight? Yeah. I, okay. Oh, I, I, I did an album with Ted Knight called Hi Guys. No, you didn't. Yeah, it was great. Did he sing? Yeah, we did like what? Pinball Wizard and Blueberry Hill. Oh my God. That has to be one that okay. you... Uh, it, was, was there eye rolling going on during that one? Oh, he's...
give him so much credit because he's one of the few guys I mean he takes 16 guys on the road with him when he wow. does the large band tours and if oh this is a beautiful song of Lyle's too but um, but he's he's a treasure I mean the first time I worked with him it was the, um, his large band album and like the first song we cut was the one where he goes can you make it a cheeseburger <laughs> and I'm sitting there going what, am, what is this project? I mean, because I was so used to all these traditional country artists like the George Straits and all these people. And suddenly I'm down in Nashville working with this guy with this like a racer head hair at that point. And so I'm going, man, this is a, this is a trip. And the last question, which we never got the answer to. So how did this start? And how long has it been since your face has shown? Um, well, it was like when I graduated high school, I just mm -hmm. kind of went, screw it. Mm -hmm. and uh, and just kind of let it grow and that was it and then I cut it all the time at this point because it's always getting caught in my strings and stuff I have to you know it's like it's a, a bit of a nuisance um, but it just you know it's just like one of those things I don't even think about it until it's I walk by a reflective yeah. surface and I go who let him in the house <laughs> <laughs> you know it's kind of one of those things you, you don't even think about it um, but it, it's really it's really funny I, I have a great picture like at one point um, uh, William Golden left the Oak Ridge Boys mm -hmm. and uh, I was doing an album with them and so we got a great picture in the vocal booth of me with the other guys looking like it and Loretta Lynn comes into the studio and she goes I can't believe they get rid of one and they find another <laughs> <laughs> it was great but and then like one of the funniest things was uh, I was um, when we just did this fundraiser, Billy Gibbons sent I was just going to say, when you and Billy Gibbons oh, yeah, sent so, But the thing that was funny was Billy Gibbons um, sent a guitar to be you know, donated for mm -hmm. the auction on it. And I uh, I was getting signed pictures from Cheryl Crow and Willie Nelson and all that, but Billy was in Europe and I couldn't get him. So I went online to look him up just mm -hmm. to find a good picture that I could print to put with the guitar. And I noticed one of the links was a big interview with Dusty Hill. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of, I'm going to go check that out. And I, <laughs> I open it up, and it's a picture of me with Dusty Hill's <laughs> article. <laughs> and so I took, I took a you know page shot of it and sent it to Billy, and he just wrote back in giant script, just ha ha ha. <laughs> it was fantastic. Yeah, man, I love, I love those guys. That's still one of the most enjoyable shows I've ever seen. It's easy. Yeah. But I'll tell you, the best concert I ever saw live okay. was Sinatra at the uh, at the Universal Amphitheater, probably in the late eighties. Wow, I he saw was him, still... I saw him in the late eighties. Mm. He his memory was failed; like he had to be prompted a couple of times. Then it may have been a little bit earlier than that, because okay. at least or that night he was in. 
But I saw him in New York. I saw it was at the Universal Amphitheater, and just the thing I loved was his respect for the song, mm-hmm. where he would introduce every song, who wrote the music, who wrote the lyrics. He would have every soloist. I was going to say he he, he, point he, out, he point when out somebody everybody. was taking a solo, yes. he would fade to the back of yes, the stage yes, yes. rather than standing up there mm-hmm. going, "Dig me." Mm-hmm. I mean, it would have been something to see him in his in his prime because mm-hmm. I just saw um, Tony Bennett um, like a year and a half ago, two years ago. And uh, man, it was like great. I mean, it would have been great to have seen him in his prime. But I'll tell you, for a guy in his 90s, He's like I went and saw Charles Aznavour on mm-hmm. his tour and mm-hmm. when he was his 90th tour. And this guy's running all over the stage and singing, hitting everything. You just go. I just took Pete to see The Who at the Hollywood Bowl, and I had never seen The Who live. Yeah. And when I used to name my favorite guitar players, and I'd be Hendrix and Beck, and Pete. Pete is now my favorite. I have yeah. never seen anybody play like that. Yeah. He was playing up behind the thing. I cannot believe what he was doing. Um, they were amazing. Yeah, they're, they're great. I mean, to me, the only thing that gets rough is when too many members start disappearing mm-hmm. from groups. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, how... I mean, I love the legacy of it all. And the music is great. But, you know, yeah. and I know like Pino went out with them and, you know, different guys. You know, it was like seeing, um, like, Yes Without Chris Squire or yeah. seeing, you know, the music is still great. But there's this, for me, mm-hmm. especially as a bassist, you know, mm-hmm. when you would be going and seeing a Cream reunion without Jack Bruce. And now, you know, I mean, it's just, it, it gets a little bit hard. But I'm looking forward to the um, immediate family. We're doing a rock cruise at the end of February. And, um, Daltrey is going to be on it. He's amazing. And, oh, he's great. He's great. And Nancy Wilson's doing it. And I'm like a giant heart fan. Mm-hmm. And I did a couple of things with her. She did one of those things we did at the Library of Congress. Mm-hmm. And then a number of years ago, Amit and Dweezil Zappa had a TV show. And I was the musical director on oh, it. Oh, sweet. And, and, and Nancy came on that. And we got to play with her. You mm-hmm. know, And you just kind of go, God, she's good. Mm-hmm. She's just great. Great guitarist, great singer and everything. So I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Well, it sounds like there's going to be lots of opportunities to see you out in the world. Look for the immediate family. What What do you guys have? What's any gigs? So you're going to be... Locally, we're not doing anything right now. We're just focused on finishing the album. Okay. So the guys, we, we cut all the basic tracks at Jackson Brown Studio. Mm-hmm. And Steve Postel has a really good setup at his mm-hmm. house down in Culver City area. Um, so the guys are in there finishing up vocals and guitars and everything. So it's a, you know. And so when are you anticipating the album's going to come out? Um, we're trying to get this thing out. Theoretically, we're supposed to go to Japan around June. Okay. But the Olympics are going to be there. So they're having a lot of trouble getting accommodations mm. and stuff because everything is. So we're not quite sure, but we would like to have it finished by the time we go there. Mm-hmm. But to me, the, the, kind of the beauty of everything is there's no. There's no rush. There's just no rush mm-hmm. at this point. Just make it as good as you. But man, the guy, some of the new songs are so good. It's just, I mean, all the songs are really good, but um, Cooch is such a fun songwriter. Um, it's really, it's great. Um, and I'm just, uh, the thing that's so thrilling is to be on stage with the guys, and I'm looking around, and other than Postel, who I've known a long time, but he's probably about 10 years younger than everybody else. But to look at a, a group of guys on stage that I've been looking at for 50 years. It's insane. Um, and everybody's at the top of their game and still hungry. 
And one of the things I talked with Tedesco about, Denny, mm -hmm. um, he said with the Wrecking Crew, the, the Wrecking Crew's timeline was about 12 years, mm -hmm. um, from the late 50s to like 70. Mm -hmm. And none of them ever left the studio and toured with any. Uh, Hal was probably the only one mm -hmm. who would like go to Vegas and, you know, he would, he would get marquee, you know, mm -hmm. booking there. But he said with you guys, you've been doing it for 50 years. You've toured with a lot of the people. You guys wrote the material that a lot of them have done and, and produced it. So he said it's very different. It's not like Wrecking Crew 2 right. no, it's coming along. Crew. This is a whole other project. Mm -hmm. It just so happens the common denominator is having Denny Tedesco, who's a brilliant filmmaker. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really fun. All this stuff is really good and came, you know, to be still doing this at this point and, and, and enjoying it every day because I've seen so many fall by the wayside with mm -hmm. disappointment and stress and alcohol and drugs and, and just personal things and, and so many deaths mm -hmm. that just to be with your buds and out there having a good time. And so is this your focus now? Are you going out on the road with anybody? Well, it, it, I, I think I'll probably be doing some more gigs with Judith mm -hmm. um, again. And Do but, you know where, where you guys will be, where people can catch you? Um, nothing in the book yet. Okay. Um, I've just been kind of focused on, on the album and then Nam and all that stuff. And then um, tomorrow we start rehearsing for the pre-Grammy show. Um, so we'll be working through Sunday uh, on that, which is, I wish that's what they televised. The pre-show is so much fun. Does anybody shoot? when? Uh, it, it's not televised, I'm sure they No, but I mean, it. does any, will it end up on YouTube? That I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if there's any in, intention uh, mm -hmm. on that level. But with the Grammy show, I think they give like eight awards. I think we get during the pre-show, it's like 40 wow. awards. I mean, we have like between 80 and 100 pieces of music to learn wow. for this thing. Cheche Alara is the MD on it. And mm -hmm. the band of Vinnie Kaliut is playing drums. And the I mean, the band is, is great. Tim Pierce and Dean Parks. And um, it, it's just fun. It runs all day before the Grammy wow. show. And then we all go home and we can watch the show if we want, or I'll watch Law and Order or Botched. <laughs> I, if I want to watch Botched, I could probably just go and watch the red carpet. <laughs> yeah, the <grand. laughs> yeah. Oh my God, even at the Grammys, yeah, I guess even at the Grammys. Oh, it's everywhere, it's everywhere. Oh my you know, God. Just these grotesqueries, people didn't know when to say stop. Yeah. Yeah, so, but... I love being here. This is fabulous. Thank you so much for doing well, this. Anytime. This I'll, I would, if you ever want me to come back for I'd love you to come part back. two, I would do it. And let's do a living room. I'll talk to Judith. Judith. Yes, I would love that. I think I would it would be that. really fun. Thank you so much. Everybody, this is Lee Sklar and, uh, and Pete George. Thank you so much. And uh, next week, we're going to be back. Is it Bruce Flange? Is next week? Yes, Bruce I think Flange? so. Next week. Oh, great. We'll be laughing. We'll oh, be Bruce laughing is, next yeah, week. It would be nice to see him under better circumstances than Allie's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. And just remember, if you ever see me on the street. <laughs> Thank you so much. Mwah. Oh, pleasure. Absolute you were, pleasure. This was such a joy. And at Thank least you, it's the right week. Yeah. Lee did come to my door last week He with, with Larry Hankin. They're both standing out there. And I'm going, wait, wait a minute. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're ganging up on you. Yeah, I'm such a genius. I forgot to actually read the date. You know, I was so excited about coming. So. But at least I knew where to come this week yeah. so that when I got here and had forgotten my laptop, <laughs> I could drive home immediately and come back and get with my laptop. Well, you came here twice today. Actually. Jesus, what a moron. But it was worth it because those... Both oh, yeah. those were, yeah, they're fun. Was, they're fun. That was crazy to watch they're you fun. play. To sit here and watch you play was thrilling. That's fun. Um, thank you all so much for joining. And us. let's answer some more questions, and we'll, we'll, we'll try to. Well, yeah, we'll do we'll, the thing. We'll, we'll, we'll sit we'll, here and hang for a while. Yeah, we'll do. We'll answer some questions online. We'll try to thank get you to so you. much.